At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello and welcome back to Lorehammer. My name is Eric. Hey, I'm Mark. And joining us today for a bonus episode, number 22, is Colin. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. Oh, a pleasure. Happy, yeah. yeah. Happy, to, happy to have you over to the home. It's been a while. The old... It's been a while. So, yes. uh, you know, we've, we've been under, under lockdown. Very happy to, uh, you know, have... Uh, Still providing some social distance as mm-hmm. we talk here, but yeah, uh, we're wearing masks and stuff. Don't subscribe for once to our Patreon and look at the video for two dollars. Don't do that <laughs> to verify if we are wearing masks. We're or... separated, so yeah, let's uh, <laughs> moving forward with that. Hello, <laughs> Colin. I'm excited. Uh, we're gonna be talking about your project called Open Stories mm-hmm. today and everything that you're doing over there. We we got some stories. You yeah, got we do. Some stories. Yeah, it's uh, we actually just celebrated our two year anniversary um, of this initiative, which is crazy how the time has gone by. Two so. years, yeah, uh, from your first release. From the first release, okay. yeah. That's crazy. So, so um, we've got the the audio dramas, the short fiction anthology, the fast fiction writing contest, right? And we also have the immersive writing game um, that uh, kind of throws you into Warhammer, like it's the SCP Foundation, but you're an Inquisitor. So there's a lot of different <laughs> ways that people can play with the setting over at the what? the website. It's a like you share the story with people. Yeah. So what happens? It, well, we can probably get into this with all the different. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Tons of, but you're yeah. doing lots of stuff. Lots, lots of, stuff. of stuff. So lots that's stuff. the point of this to spread yeah. that stuff. Uh, yeah. We're going to be talking about a couple. Episodes. Can you stop spreading Colin's stuff, Mark? Please. <laughs> he he certainly knows how to, how to butter my bread. He, he just he <laughs> butters me up all the time. He got, that's how he got me on the episode. <laughs> Colin, did we tell you how cool you are? Oh, how stop, great you guys! So nice. Yeah, I'll come on. But uh, the last time you were on mm-hmm. was a bonus episode 10, where we listened to uh, Satellite 66B, March for Mars, and When All the Lights Have Gone Out. Yep. So we're not going to focus on those today, but if you guys want, we may or may not play some clips <coughs> about them later, but mm-hmm. definitely go check out that previous episode yeah, if well, you yeah. want those ones. But go After check out Colin's one. podcast, too. Like, oh, go, yeah, yeah. Go that's to what I should have said. Source yeah. for them. Uh, it'll be cool. But if you want, like, after episode feedback. But, uh, Yeah. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, three more episodes that he's yes. released. And uh, just as a little bit of a warning, uh, we are going to be discussing spoilers or kind of some stories that happen after or before. A little what extra happened data. to that little boy? Yeah, Colin. exactly. So if you stuff like that, if you haven't listened to these yet, or you don't want to be spoiled or anything, maybe just take a pause, go listen to them now, and then come back and listen to the episode. Yeah, uh, and Colin, the best place to listen to these are over at coldopenstories.com. You can stream all the episodes from the site or on your favorite podcast player. Sweet, yeah. Spotify for me, man. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Spotify is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Those, yeah. That endorsement money is really worth it for them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, so <laughs> happy to, honestly, happy to be here talking about these. I know when I was on last, we had released three episodes, and we've had five since then. So Since then? Since then, yeah. Because yeah. we had a, a Cog in Crimson. Uh, and, right. And actually, just to tell a little, a little bit about how these work, is that these are, um, think of it like uh, community theater set in 40k so what we do is we do a public casting call uh people are able to record uh dialogue samples audition for the roles and then all levels of uh, experience are welcomed so we have people who are first-time voice acting uh talent or uh we do have some industry professionals as well and they're able to um that's nice to see up on the uh, the the feed for people who are uh, subscribed on on Patreon. Um, it's yeah, it's great. Uh, people are able to to check out the episodes and uh, audition to play the parts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will say I think your audition process is a little um, skewed or corrupt. Or, yeah, Eric. Eric's um, maligned. Upset. There was a Necron role. Eric did not receive. Uh, you're maliciously screening your yeah. audition calls. Is what it feels yeah. like to me. It and... was eleven o'clock at night. My phone. Is, I'm trying. <laughs> get some sleep yeah yeah that's i found that 11 o'clock the the night is the most consistent time to find people in their houses it is with the phone right yeah so that's when i really stock out you know my (laughs) did you do do you have to do any like uh sourcing of like research to find when the best time was to start throwing rocks at my window i definitely (laughs) have cameras set up pointed at your house that that uh that subscription Uh, was very much worth the time (laughs) you want that uh, but yeah, yeah, the the casting call is cool because anyone can participate, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think that's it's felt like that's been uh, one of the main goals of your whole production thing yeah. is just showing people how easy it is to contribute to 40k, even if you know you're not interested in the game. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a lot of different ways that people can interact with the the lore, the setting, the writing, and you guys have also been uh, great supporters of this as well with listener lore, is that people do want to play in the sandbox of 40k. And so the way that the audio dramas have done that is it allows people to, again, pick up uh, each audio production is a different faction focus. So don't worry if your faction hasn't been covered yet. You're getting to it. Soon, TM. Ooh. Soon, TM. You owe oh, us money. Oh, soon. Yeah, you, you owe us money. <laughs> right into our trap. Got him. Idiot. Damn. <laughs> I don't know what just happened, but I fell for it. Well, you fell into a meme, Colin. Oh, uh, did I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's really happy to uh, t- to give people that, that flexibility to do so. And the same goes for the, the other um, uh, features that we have on the site, too. Yeah. Uh, for your audio dramas, is there a faction that you haven't covered yet? Well, yeah, I mean, there's how many factions in 40K? I, uh, th- there are appearances in each of the dramas. By, For example, in A Cog in Crimson, um, one of the, there is the appearance of the Dukari. The, sure, uh, okay. They aren't the faction focus of that one. That's what I'm speaking to is that everyone's going to get their time in the sun. Everyone's uh, going to get a cool moment. You're not just showcasing everything. You're trying to give an in-depth look at exactly. their perspective. You're going you're gonna to get like a, a spotlight okay. from them. So Very if, cool. if we were to go through the, the list of the, the different factions that we've covered so far, uh, the first one we did really was about the, the Imperial Navy, and we had like some touch on with the, the Inquisitors and, and Demons there. Um, that was the Echo of Satellite 66B. Uh, March for Mars was a night-focused story, had Tyranids in it. Right. Um, when All Lights Have Gone Out uh, was about the Sororitas. Uh, the early days, actually, once they had first been founded. This is like nascent early days of the of the. Uh, this is militant. during the Great Crusade. Like right after, right around the time of Goj Van Dyer, and we're talking about oh, the, the, okay. the formation of the the different or, uh, orders. Wow, where's my head today? <laughs> um, the the villain for that, I mean, a bit of a spoiler warning, but we're talking uh, one of the uh, the different uh, traitor legions. So mm-hmm, yeah. go tune into that. Uh, Cog and Crimson is uh, our Mechanicus story. They are a bit of a villain to themselves. Um, <laughs> but uh, there is an appearance from the Drukhari. 
however small, however hidden, is uh, Imperial Civilians, and it is actually our Gene Stealer-centric story. Okay. A bit of a uh, twist on there. Uh, Agtrail, the Counterfeit Blade. Uh, this is Craft World Eldar, um, but we do have an appearance of Necrons, because every great Eldar story should have some sort of tie to it the is. It is the, the great ones. enemy. They are the great enemy. Uh, Hounds of Bedlam is something that I have always wanted to see more of, but never really get the opportunity, and that is uh, Traitor Guardsmen. Sure, um, yeah. You know, the, the heretic legions of man. And yesterday's news is about the Administratum, uh, which is, you would think, a rather, you know, uh, low profile, but based on how much power and control and wow. uh, the, the paranoia that exists when you're trying to run the Imperium, what happens uh, with that? And the casting call that we have for the next episode coming out is uh, for the Tau. Uh, that story is called On the Hunter's Watch. Ooh, and that is a Tau centric story, and um, that one is uh, in casting till the end of June. Okay, so people can apply again over on coldopenstories.com. And we have a bunch of different roles, uh, really playing into some of the stuff that people love about the Tau. Um, you know, the, the coalition of alien uh, different species, uh, what it's like to have humans interacting both as a the oppressive Imperium, but what happens when you have... Uh, you positive interaction, Positive interactions <laughs> yeah. as well. You know, like, well, uh, Guela, uh, Guevesa. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people do model their, their armies to put that human face to the Empire. But uh, it's a very, again, a very wide call. We're, we're talking like we've got Vespid and Crute and other creatures. That's going to be sweet. So how, how large is this cast that you're trying to get together? Most most of the uh, the the productions have at minimum around seven different characters. Okay. Um, the episodes range between thirty to. Uh, or actually, twenty to, to thirty five minutes uh, per episode. Uh, the uh, for example, when we take a look at Cog and Crimson, uh, that was five episodes. Um, when we take a look at something like Hounds of Bedlam, you know, again another uh, multi parter. Yeah, this one is going to be three. Okay, uh, same as uh, Agtril. Uh, we love Xenos, you know, uh, but somehow they wound up with three episodes instead of the Imperial Chaos factions of five. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy there, but you know, but, but you'll find one. We if will you follow yeah. the numbers. It'll lead you to the. Truth. We're actually yeah. just distilling the greatness into a concise three episode one, ah, so it's okay. even more powerful yeah. as Xenos should be. So. Mm, perfect. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, do we want to jump into? picking apart one of these episodes i've been dying to talk to you about one of them <laughs> was it uh called because we haven't talked about cog on the i haven't episode. I, oh okay. i haven't listened to that one for a long time okay but um, we have some other ones yes, to talk about yes today. yes yeah. so the ones we're talking about let eric do you want to start or uh well are do you want to do the little clips uh now to give people a taste of sure. what it would be okay cool so what we're going to do right now is we're going to listen to a clip from however small however hidden and then we will discuss sounds good Connor, I love you so much. I love that you're always thinking about us. It's part of your charm. You know me. I have to do my duty. What about your duty to us? To me? <sighs> Honestly, Connor, just once I'd appreciate your understanding. If the defenses fall, take Jatris to the lower levels and out of the city. Understood? Use the Underhive The to Underhive? We'll get lost down there! What you're doing right now, leaving us when there's- It's very important that you don't finish that sentence. Don't be a coward. Protect our son. Imogen, listen. Wait, I'm sorry. Okay, 
So that's a little clip from However Small, However Hidden. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that sure. drama? Sure. So uh, it follows the uh, Connor Daly and uh, and his son. And uh, pretty much he is uh, kind of stuck in the middle when a uh, tyrannid attack comes raining on uh, their hive city from on high. And uh, they are forced to take refuge by running down through the, uh, the underhive. And as they move deeper and deeper, they find that tyrannids aren't just coming from above, but from below. Ah. Man. Okay, all of it was fucking incredible, Colin. Like, one of the coolest stories. I really like the twist at the end. I was writing notes notes frantically when I was cleaning the church. And, like, I had to write down the notes, even though I was cleaning a shitty toilet, pull up my phone. Like, <laughs> just, just stains uh, all over your notes. Yeah, I'm but very it concerned. had to be done. This is what I think of your script, actually. Yeah. No, I, I have to say, though, it's, it, no, was, it's amazing. It, was, it was it was co-written um, by Stephen Rhodes, um, yeah. a, another fantastic script writer. He's a great um, industry professional within video games. Got to work with him on, on this. Uh, people can, uh, would probably know his name from the recent um, RPG for 40K, Witcher 3, different uh, uh, ones within um, uh, video games. But, yeah, this was a fun one to do. Do. I mean, we we definitely went more into the the ethereal. What happens when the shadow of the warp is starting to play an influence on the minds of yeah, the civilians? Yeah, yeah, and mm. yeah. That was that lower, was my notes. Like one of the first scenes was just like him having a nightmare that he wakes up from, and I wrote down right away. I'm like, ooh, shadows of the warp. I really like this. And then you kept on going back to it. You know. Um, throughout the course of it, the hive mind was like literally showing battlefields from across the galaxy, like space marines falling, and like, look, you can't stop us. Like, wow, it was so good. I loved all like that, almost like a terror tactic. Yeah, employed like, by them, but also could, was it? It could even just be something accidental slipping from this hive mind. Or? Well, the the pro- really the problem with writing tyrannids yeah. is that you have to do something that is cosmic horror that the human mind can't understand. Right. So a lot of it has to be. Uh, done in one of two ways you are either doing it as a third person perspective of a creature interacting or reacting or having influence on the world like a force of nature or what you do is you show how humans are reacting to those but you try to kind of just pepper in some of those those eggs of stuff that really big fans of the lore will know you know right with with uh people who love gene sealers they know the cycle of infection yeah yeah. they they know that there's going to be a psychic resonance that is going to be affecting the minds of people as the high fleet gets closer and it was really fun to play with those with the the main character and also how connor begins to you know has some uh, some slips on his sanity as he goes deeper and the, the hive is <laughs> yeah. high above getting closer and he interacts with other characters who are trying to either escape as well or mm-hmm. stand up against the hive or maybe they're complicit in the the gene stealer insurrection so <laughs> uh yeah like uh it was sweet when they're going down into the hive like the sheer awe of the hive city like just the way they described it like they hop on this little rinky-dink service elevator that then shoots them down, like, hundreds of levels. And, like, oh, wow. they escape into, like, you know, a spot spot that, like, there's a young boy or whatever who's, like, trying to describe it. He's like, who who could have built this? Like, wow. the sheer scale so of it. So just incomprehensible. Incomp- yeah. yeah, and it was just such a – so well done. Um, and then, you know, you throw in more nighttime terrors. I always like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the other really cool thing you kind of mentioned, too, is I liked uh, how you went through the whole story. Um, and the main characters didn't really get into fights. Like, mm-hmm. there was only one real fist fight with the main character. Yeah. Um, but 
throughout the course of it, he had like a Vox caster and he was listening to the Vox cast and you would hear far away battles once again, like, oh, they're taking the, the base. Okay. And like, you know, it was a great way to distance from, because, you know, I don't want another bol- bolter porn, but it was a great little peppering. Well, there for so for Connor and his journey, it yeah. really is, you know, if you were going to put a normal human being into any of these combat situations, they are going to get eaten very, very quickly. Very quick. And so Connor, in, in many ways, is actually a, a passive... Uh, participant at yeah. least in so much that's going on he is walking around the upper hives and he sees the destruction of a volley of the the hive fleet coming down out of orbit he sees it but he's not direct he's just a few seconds too late yeah and he comes very close in the first episode um to combat but the imperial guard are there and he's able to slip away into yeah, the elevator yeah. like you said but whether it's the vox caster and he's listening to the chatter of people actually being led around you know by gene stealer like hybrids that are telling these guardsmen where to go because they've infiltrated their network and yeah. he's hearing this and when he has the visions from the, the yeah. hive mind, he's seeing these glimpses from across space he's actually not a a strong physical adaptive hero in fact he spends a lot of the time locking doors shutting himself behind large objects yeah, and yeah. hiding yeah but he can he has always witnessed what's happening on the other side of that that terror the other side of that screen the other side of that door mm-hmm. that i feel like that desire to add a splash of realism into the story is perfect for horror yeah because too many times when you try to make something scary or horror-esque or terror uh there's too many caricatures that you fall into mm-hmm. like if you want to make something scary a lot of people just kind of give up on writing and just write like oh there was just a killer in the closet or something or it's a little harder to believe mm-hmm. but what you're sounding is like this guy is making like smart rational decisions understands his own limitations mm-hmm. and yeah, he's just trying to survive exactly, and run actively trying to live yeah which is really like with his child yeah yeah so every, every story that uh, that we've worked on or written uh, my personal writing process is i actually start every story from a place of fear what is the mm. now that doesn't have to mean like flailing your arms you know panic stricken but it's what is the thing that your character is either afraid of losing afraid of becoming and how are they either trying to fight against that or overcompensate against it and that's my writing process so that's kind of coming up with a motivation for them exactly like yeah. you know what what it, it goes down to great characters are ones that have clear and necessary wants however small however mm. hidden is a very clear want he wants to be able to get through the underhive escape through the you know the tunnels under the city and get out with his son yeah. that is a very strong paternal not just instinct but it's a motivation yeah. however what kind of throws it into a bit of a uh, is a bit of a, a, a churn is that he's encountering multiple characters throughout the story, whether it's a woman in one of the, the churches or it's a, a laborer who is mm-hmm. trapped underground as well, is he encounters these other characters who are either ready to hand him over yeah, or believe that, you know, his wants are assailable. You know, mm. what you want doesn't matter. And he, he's really like, no, what I want is to get my son across. I want, I want, yeah. I want. And I'm not a coward. I can protect my son. We heard in the clip him speaking with Imogen. And the whole story starts with the don't be a coward. Yeah. Right? And he is a very cowardly person. 
Hmm. And I think that that's very rational to consider the types of things he's after. Yeah, yeah it's like, it's different if you're like, him. hey, there's a there's a human coming at you, so you're like, okay, like it it is a human, but I'm a human, you know, <laughs> so it should be fairly equal. <laughs> hey, there's a fifty foot monster coming at you, twenty of them. Yeah, <laughs> but also the confusion, right? Like yeah, sure. he sees them up above, and they are the Tyranids as we know them. Yeah, when he encounters yeah, so one for the first time. Yeah, so this was one of my first very very favorite parts. Is so he goes down that shaft. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, he goes down the shaft, he encounters a, a laborer, yeah. and the laborer has been down there for months, yeah, uh, yeah. indeterminable amount of time, who is speaking to, like, no, 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 they've, we, we've been on the run Yeah, here. they've been here for six months already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, uh, like, so eventually, you know, they're talking, he just is like... I don't, it, it, it's it's the you know what are you doing with your hands? Cause, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, one yeah. of the characters mimics a tyrannid and he makes the like the yeah, talons, the, and the other guy's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "These these are you know talons. No, they have hands. What are you talking about? They don't have hands." And there's this sort of in like again, we as listeners and fans of the lore know the sure we're kind of we're outside yeah, we know there's tyrannids, like, we, yeah, we know there's gene stealers. We, we understand that, but for <laughs> both of them to be so confused of like. Are these multiple alien species? Yeah, like, they what don't is even down know. here. They don't. They don't correlate. How can something as above be that horrifying? And we're still fighting something below. And yeah. that's almost like the Imperium in a nutshell. It's fighting wars on multiple fronts. Yeah, sure. So, so eventually, yeah, he runs into Gene Sears. He finds out. He learns that you know there's these crazy, you know, ab humans essentially, and a whole cult uprising. But uh, another really cool character you had was uh, he was. Uh, maybe a colonel from another planet. Yes. Uh, and, you know, he... So the the main character and the kid are in the hive under hive and they run into, like, a small squad of guardsmen and throughout the course of talking to the colonel, you learn that he's from a different planet and that Tyranids uh, attacked his planet as well and, like, they were, you know... He's seen both species of Tyranids and he was very intimate with Tyranids. Turns okay. out he's a Tyranid. Yeah, yeah. Of course. But, like... But, yeah, from us, you describing it, it's obvious. Obviously. Anyone with more than a little knowledge probably <laughs> but, is bad but just the way just the thought like that this fucking guy came from another planet because you hear basically like when he's a good guardsman he's like yeah we defended that planet you know and then he came back to this planet and now he took the whole cult and it's just crazy wow yeah it's it's such a good like okay lots of cults i like <laughs> it <laughs> yeah like it's one of my favorite pieces of the lore is when you know when there's a gene stealer infestation like it's kind of like if they like put their special gene stealer spice in the grain and they mail it off to another planet and that now infects another person. Like, yeah, this is actually very difficult to defend against. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's it, it, just that insidious nature of it. And that gene stealers, well, the whole, you get to see all of the different forms of an invasion force throughout yeah. the, okay. the, um, the story, which was something that we were just really excited to play with. It's like, what, what would a gene stealer fan want? You'd want to see why gene stealers are just as threatening as like hormigons. You know, yeah. you want to be able to see them coming out of the, walls you want to see the cults uh we have some excellent performers as well doing some really gnarly gene stealer voices and stuff like that again when they're like not as recognizably human yeah um in the first episode you you know you get a a hint of one as he kind of bumps past connor and his voice is kind of garbled and you're like what the heck was that guy and he comes (laughs) back at the end for one of probably the most distressing endings i have written um (laughs) of this idea of you know what happens at the end well Mm -hmm. everything's going to get hoovered up there's not going to be anything left yeah and it's going to be uh tough days 
days for anyone left behind. There's something you learn pretty quick in 40k writing, whether it's official or fanfic or even just musings. There's not a lot of happy endings. (laughs) No, and if they are, they're always going to be bittersweet. Something has to be lost. There's some kind of inevitability of the fact that even if you have something good now, it's going to end. Basically, the dad sacrificed himself, was able to save his son for the moment. For the moment, because now he's in a Tyranid invasion. <laughs> the the planet's getting all of its, uh, yeah. its uh, biological resources hoovered up, and they come above ground. And wow. you, you do get an excellent. I I love this final scene though. With, yeah, I'm biased, uh, but I get this, this this lovely final scene where we've seen gene stealers impersonating people. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you have two humans quickly cover themselves up oh, in, wow. in rags and they go in to meet a a cultist and they kind of have to play the role and. Just yeah. proves that humans aren't nearly as good as at it as gene stealers are good the other way. Sure, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that facade comes down, and you have your your final struggle before the end of the story. So. Yeah, yeah, great fun. It, uh, yeah, it was incredible. Um, it had me hanging on to the very edge of my seat. That honestly, that uh, one of my favorite cliffhangers for the first episode, though, when you're dropping the elevator exactly. and it's just going hundreds of floors <laughs> down, and you hear that whoosh. Like if you've ever been mm. on a theme park ride, like Disneyland or something, sure. at the Tower of Terror, I'm like, yes, yeah. that is what I want to feel, and got some good feedback about that as well. Yeah, like I just like so they got in the elevator. And I was thinking to myself. Going down one floor isn't going to help, but and then boom, dozens and dozens. <laughs> oh, it's the sense of scope, right? Like 40K exactly. is, is this space opera of massive scale. <laughs> yeah. So let's say you know you've gone down 337 floors and you bought yourself two days. You bought yourself, you know, a very short amount of time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was sweet. Um, yeah. So Jantris, he he was not a gene stealer boy at all. No, but there was some hints towards it, and even the cover up at the cloth. But it was all just a ploy. Yeah. So again, they they kind of try. Uh, Mag, who is the friend that was actually mm-hmm. mentioned in the opening clip as well. Mag mm-hmm. is an Imperial Guardsman, friend of. Um, uh, Imogen, uh, Connor's wife, a lot of names I'm throwing out here. Go listen to the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, hopefully they did. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, yeah. Spoilers, but um, yeah, no, um, at the end of the story, we're left with uh, with Jatris and Mag. Yeah. They've survived. They've been able to, you know, stop this Gene Stealer who nearly took a chunk out of them uh, in the end, or Gene Stealer cultist story. And they're left looking at the world and the planet as the spores have fought, uh, you know, the, the, the hive has really come to claim the city. Spawning pools are being, you know, built. The, the cult itself yeah. is going to be getting turned into like, you Oh, know, yeah, that was another great. So, like, just the way you described this, the cult and the star mother and, like, yes, we got to go rebirth ourselves. That, that is just something where some creative liberties are, are taken as well. Because I, lo- mm. I love Gene Steeler cults and the idea of, like, what, how do they consider the, the, the gender of the hive. We think of it as pretty much space bugs. So we go with the queen, we go with sure. the mother. Sure. And, and, and so the patriarch um, unit is again, psycho uh, with it's like pulsating brain. And there's just a lot of that interesting, like they're aspiring to this again, insect hive queen thing. And you're just like, it doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like when we, when we finally have a patriarch show up, it just is a terrifying beast yeah like they're they're crippled to their knees with like oppressive thoughts and like just yeah. by the proximity to yeah it, which is you know I, I i again all these stories are a love letter to the faction that we're trying to display so yeah um again they're they're how do we fit in even like the the gene stealer vehicles right at the very end we have this what is effectively a ridge runner you know like kind of pulls up <laughs> and you're like all right you know try to provide the greatest hits of like 
you know, what makes them cool? If yeah. you, the same way you'd open an old codex and it'd be, why do you want to play this army? Sure. In the same way of saying, you've listened to the drama, yeah. however small, however hidden, why would you want to play Genius? Yeah, yeah. This is the greatest hits of what makes them yeah. cool. But again, it's a drama. I mean, there's not as much like pew, pew, shoot, shoot. You know, it, it mm-hmm. really is a story about characters with, yeah. with dreams and hopes and motivations. And Imogen, when she goes off and what happens to her fate and then her consciousness and, and the feeding of the hive mind, you know, shadow in the warp feeding that to Connor. It's it's kind of a bit of a cerebral, like psychic, weird. And I love mm. that about Gene Sealers. Mm. They are still kind of weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- they are alien. Yeah, and they should feel m- a little alien. Yeah. yeah, you know, like they're not entirely human. I mean, there's enough weirdness in humanity that you'll probably slip unnoticed right but they're still not and they use our hierarchies against us yeah. like when there's there's scenes where they're running through the tunnels and the, the the high command is giving them like no you need to go down this tunnel yeah and they're they just keep leading them into traps or yeah um dead ends and you realize that you know they're on the vox they can speak like us they look like right us. Yeah. they know what they're doing yeah that's terrifying yeah like, with, when with, you can't even tell like with chaos, it's like you know that it's it's kind of like oh, it's a bad human doing the same thing. But when it's a gene stealer, it's there's just a couple more arms attached at the end of that corner that you're about to walk around, and that's kind of <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> yeah, great story. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I have anything else. We went through all my little notes. I just man, my favorite character, I think probably the the colonel guy. Mm-hmm. I just love the concept of him. Yeah. So this is the guy that uh, was a tyrannid in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was a cultist already or whatever. Okay. And he came from another planet that already was invaded and now wow. he's doing it again. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Ready to move to the next one? Uh yeah, let's uh I'll take the next one. Yeah. Sure. Uh so we're going to do Hounds of Bedlam. Uh so here now we're gonna listen to a little clip. I pile in with a trench line as Seb stays back at the village. Men swallow fistfuls of stims and their eyes go wild. We spot it. A drop pod screaming down from orbit like the fist of a vengeful god. How do you feel, Commander? Like it's the end of the world. As expected, they go for the tactical weak point behind our lines. Right for the heart of the village. Remember, we need the target left alive. They do. I don't. My victory depends on keeping Sable in the ground. I'll take command and cast out the Plague of Faith from the Hounds. In the squalid town, the tops of the buildings blast off as Hylish opens his trap. Fire Icarus arrays. A grid of anti-air cannons perfectly aimed. They fire and swap the Astartes off their trajectory, sending them crashing to the forest beyond our trench line. Okay, so that clip is from Hounds of Bedlam. Why don't you kind of set it up for us? Sure. So uh, Hounds of Bedlam uh, follows uh, Rudolf Noose, uh, who we're introduced in the story. He's uh, uh, working or he's recovering in a Imperial Medicaid. And as the story goes on, we find that uh, this uh, this uh, hive city is about to be assaulted by a, uh, a very well known and, and terrifying group of uh, traitor guardsmen uh, called the Hounds of uh, 
Sable. Sable, yes. yes. And um, so, yeah, it's it's about him encountering the Hounds and us learning that there's a lot more to him and his backstory and his history with this Traitor Guardsman platoon than is potentially uh, first alluded to. And it takes us down this weaving, sick, and uh, slaneshy uh, stream of consciousness and horror. Oh, nice. It's... <sighs> Getting inside Rudolph's head is weird. I mean, he's a weird dude. He's into some weird stuff, but he's also twisted and a little bit tortured. Um, first of all, amazing job. Like you, so you wrote this one, yeah. Hounds of Bedlam, yeah. like by yourself. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, it's crazy that you're writing these, man. Yeah, thank I, you. <laughs> oh, I was blown away. Like I couldn't wait to hit the next. I, I, I am most confident with the cliffhangers on this particular yeah. series because we've where are we at now? We're at like this was uh, uh, number seven, and it's like all right, we're starting to hit a rhythm of, yeah. of understanding where that it next really step feels like this one because I didn't listen to Agtrill or however small however hidden, but I have listened to all those other ones, and it really feels like you're hitting a sweet stride mm-hmm. in Hounds of Bedlam. Hounds of Bedlam, there's so much that went into to influencing this one too. Like the, um, a Blackstone Fortress had come out okay. um, and I had seen the, uh, the Trader Guardsman and I'm like, this is cool. And I'm like, where can I find some more? And it is just a, like a desert yeah. in terms of <laughs> yeah. finding cool, like there's a Lost in the Damned and there's some supplements and stuff like that. But I'm like, give me a story that is Trader Guardsmen that aren't attached to a, uh, a heretic yeah. legion some kind of astartes <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. and so a couple things that we get through the story um the, the spoilers are you know rudolph we start by being introduced to him as someone recovering in the medicaid yeah you think he's a loyalist yeah you're introduced yeah. to him as a loyalist yeah. and yeah. it's actually that he's gone into hiding behind, with you know a wolf in he's infiltrating yep. kind yeah of. um and he's gone back in there um because he's kind of run away from the the hounds um and push comes to shove we learn that he is he is tortured he he has some very good reasons to to hate um his brother who is the leader of the hounds sable sable um yes. sable uh dies kind of before yeah, the story it, begins it's, yeah previous to the story yeah. sable and rudolph two brothers have, yes two they brothers have a falling out they have a falling out there's some kind of cataclysmic life-changing event that happens before yeah. you learn eventually that it's sable's death yeah. um and rudolph is somehow intimately involved in that um moment now i'm pretty sure they allude to it a lot Mm -hmm. i'm not certain if they clarify and this is one of my questions Mm -hmm. Uh, did rudolph actually kill sable so rudolph did um spoiler the inside track is uh, (laughs) rudolph did uh provide the information to the imperium of where sable was which is where oh, the Inquisitor okay. Task Force comes in. So it's they kind of wipe like a third party killing. Yeah. Well, it's it's traitors are always going to be traitorous. Right. And <laughs> so the idea that yes, he he does switch sides when it's convenient. Oh, that's right. For okay. Him. He gives the Inquisitor the coordinates. He gives the Inquisitor the coordinates. He okay. barely gets out himself. Right. Uh, allows it to stage. It's kind of he's been killed. Um, but in his escape, Sable, who had started to take the the traitor guardsman down this uh this pact of this faith magic. and religion yes. driven. Yeah, and that's the thing I love about the the Lost and the Damned is that uh, people think of them just being, you know, very cornate, like blood for the blood god, but Mm -hmm. it's, you have a traitor legion, they are still very competent military tacticians, but people are terrified of these hounds of Sable. Yeah, and, and, uh, uh, Sable uh, has actually started to dive into the occult. Yes. And so it's kind of the thing that when the story 
uh, when the hounds bring Rudolph back in, it's we're going to actually bring Sable back. His spirit hasn't actually crossed over into in the Immaterium. He's kind of yeah. stuck between worlds, and we know he's there, and we want to give him a form, and we need someone who, not just temporarily, we need someone who can actually house his dark and tortured right. spirit. And, and Rudolph is against this. Um, you learn over the course of the story that Rudolph has been growing very wary and suspicious hates, hates this magic yes. hates you know religion he's, he's, and, and this is his brother who he's grown up with and he kind of feels a little betrayed by his brother but his brother's of, also been a very bad older brother in yes. torturing his younger brother it, it really is the most familial of all of all the stories it's a very intimate stakes because, and it's it's yeah. very easy to get in uh rudolph's head like, as dark and as twisted as that is, it's not a good place you want to. It's a, fine to visit, but you may not want to live there. It's, <laughs> because uh, the thing is, they they are still very bad, very very bad oh, people. He, I now it's not sexual. Um, There's a deliberate reason for that. And okay, talk about that well, because yeah. I was. It feels like because um, this the whole thing is that these guys worship or follow Slanesh. Yes, or they, at least they, that's Sable the... had started to take them down that yeah. road, and Rudolph's like, "This is weird, and I hate this occult nonsense, and I'm going to get out of here." So outwardly, yeah. that is the that's what Rudolph shares with everyone. Yeah. That's always his excuse that he even plays through is his own head, the yeah. rhetoric that he's starting to believe yeah. that I don't agree with it. But when you see the instances of him wielding weapons and having people's lives in his hand, man, you get a completely different Rudolph. You get a Rudolph that doesn't even know that he's slowly walking down this path of damnation. Oh, and and I, I love this character for that reason, is that you can have someone that you're going to intimately sympathize with, of like, oh, his brother was a total jerk and <laughs> abused him and forced yeah. him to do things and then... Brought him on these rituals that had to do with murdering and eating people. And you're God just like, damn. you know, and Rudolph, and you know Rudolph doesn't want to be there. But when you put him into a combat situation, there is a thrill of the kill. Yes, that he does enjoy, and, and it's not a little thrill. Like it's, it is it's ecstasy. He, it's a drug. It's addictive yep. to him. It's rock yeah. hard. <laughs> Where we we because when the thing that has always been troubling for me is when people think of Slanesh, and this is the story of what do I like about the Traitor Guardsman and Slanesh, mm. is that Slanesh is portrayed as overtly sexual. But there are other passions of Slanesh that are ignored. Yeah, it's one of many facets, but it seems like that's all everyone really wants to look at. Yeah, and so that's one that was deliberately left out of uh, the story. I appreciated yeah. that, actually. I liked that his it was more like a drug to him mm -hmm. than it was a sexual thrill. Because I feel like the sexual thrill is a little I too easy. I think after you heard like my addition call for my sexual audition for this i've kept that asmr for yeah, like yeah. just my after, bedtime after that, you're like, we okay, need to rewrite no, this we're rewriting that part <laughs> we're changing a different part of slash well, yeah. some of the things it. there are are you know that that obsession with greed and so when they take a city you're watching all of them looting and just thrilled by all the possessions they're getting you've got yeah. people who are telling stories yeah, they talked about the um the pitfalls of the hounds yes right what were they called the vices the, or something yeah yeah the yeah, Passions so, of Slanesh and the Vices of the Hounds. Yeah, so they're like, oh, yes, sweet. here they go with the looting, and you hear the looting happening in the background yeah. and the vandalism, and yeah. then they're like, and I saw people gorging, and it's people just taking anything that they want, stuffing themselves to the point of excess. So and, much consumption of like yeah. liquor and stuff, and by the the end, we're also getting like you know some it, it pretty intense drug use for the other hounds as well. Yeah. Um, my favorite clip from the entire episode though is where we got all of the cast together to do their uh, their wolf hound because they're about to go into con combat in okay. the final episode yeah. and everyone just got to let, let loose this like insane traitor guardsman 
howl yeah. and oh, yeah. just to put them all together on one channel and listen to to that for the episode yeah it was so fulfilling because you're like these guys are still badasses and they are terrifying oh and, yeah and they are not good people but the stakes that they're up against are quite high as well it's not that they're just fighting guardsmen you know they spend the first few episodes going town to town ravaging them because the whole purpose is they have to find someone with the same birth date same stars very specific for yeah. their cult ritual to bring the spirit that's kind of between the immaterium and ours and yeah the their, end, their previous leader that yeah. had formed them and, and ripped them away from yeah. their place and he was kind of offering them a path you know now he's dead it's They're really it's really easy yeah, yeah for everything to fall apart unless you have a way of you know bringing someone back from the dead so we've got four characters we have rudolph who obviously his motivations are a little you know uh askew he doesn't <laughs> want his brother to to be back yes he's, trying to he's doing everything it. he can yeah. to avoid having sable brought back yeah. uh we have riovi the witch who is actually the 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 priestess who had been teaching a lot of these occult teachings to Sable. Some would say whispering seditious and <laughs> yep. evil, evil lies. Ah. We've got Hylish, who is their uh, dark mechanicus um, technician. Hylish's voice, phenomenal. Like, whatever modulating you did to it, like, there, it was the perfect I level. will be honest, not a lot happened. That wow. Is a lot of, a little tweak, but that is... It was very good. It's it's dark, it's heavy, but it's clear, mm-hmm. and it's crisp when it needs to be. I think a lot of times when uh, people in the ad mech world are talking, they just run their voice so heavily and so scratchy. Well, even for like a studies or just other audio fiction when people are doing yeah. this on YouTube, it gets stuck behind a modulator that it, you can't understand what people yeah, are saying. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But this one, it felt nice. good. And, and the last one is Sebastian who mm. takes over. He's the next in, uh, in charge for the hounds. And he is everything about a flesh shaper of Slanesh that is so fun to play with. Uh, he, you know, really wants, to, really portrays himself as a, as a noble person. He truly does. Yeah. He, ha- it feels like he has um, like a warrior's heart mm-hmm. and still his codes of honor and lasting bonds of friendship and uh, relationship, you know, even battle brothers yeah. and history with people, things you don't normally think you'd find with a guard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But he, still very dedicated to his cause of destruction and chaos and, and, and you know, bring, um, leader, leader back. Yeah. Uh, the thing I love uh, about S- Sebastian as a character too, is just, uh, he is uh, got to do something with a lot of great Foley and sound effects for the role is that he is a flesh shaper he is a human that is able who has been gifted in whatever way by slanesh to actually transform his body so he's uh, able and others he's able to do some like you know minor healing when they have a body at the end but he he forms a talon and he is uh yeah, he rips someone in half slowly perfectly down the mouth, keeping them alive yeah, the whole way that that perfection yeah. of of combat but he um in my mind he really is just a a hairless skin werewolf that is hmm. gets very big and there's a great combat scene at the at the cliffhanger of uh, one of the episodes where we just watch him transform. Is that and get the to, uh, Stardis one? No, that's the that's at uh, that's the one I'm talking about is in episode two. Okay, um, but in episode five they find a match of a person that could actually you know be used as a vessel to bring, <laughs> bring oh, yeah. back. They're, so they're looking through this massive record book that has they're going city, hundreds, city, of, city, hundreds yeah. of records. And are, anyone they can't find, dead, dead, dead. They're just killing everyone. Yeah. And eventually they find one. In a chapter record. Yes. Uh, in a chapter record from a church. Yeah. And they tur- it turns out that the only one who's a match is an Astartes. <laughs> oh, cool. So okay, now they okay, have okay. to trap, they have to, uh, you know, attract the attention of these Astartes, Astartes uh, and then find a way to deal, like, 
how do you effectively kill an Astartes? One or of, the, at least one of stop my favorite them. opening yeah. lines of just how do you actually kill an Astartes? And what we get with that that episode with four and <laughs> it was five very good. is thank you uh, is the reverse of the Astartes animation. What is it like from the like the heretic perspective? Because they call them down and they're expecting we'll get a few and may, if we're lucky we'll get the guy we need. Because it's a roulette. Yeah. And they end up, and they yeah, end up, who knows if the guy, Gare, if like the Astartes guaranteed right next to you, is even still there. Yeah. What if he's dead? For All they like? have is a record of, because they do, they, it's the scoop of, of children. Yeah. You know, and we know it. Kids get plucked and turned into Astartes. Okay, we've got thank thank goodness they even had these records and yeah. they're still available. And well, they, they get a little hidden. They find them, you know. Sure. But, uh, and it's an Astartes and eight come yeah. ripping out of orbit. <laughs> it's, it's like someone shares, like there's eight. And you hear in the person's voice, like, there's eight of them? Yeah. Like, how are we ever going to deal with eight Astartes? <laughs> and there's an entire Hounds of Bedlam. Yeah, like, all, the entire platoon. Yeah, like, they're, they're like how are we ever going to deal with eight <laughs> Astartes? And they have the benefit, though, of they are still very tactile. It's not this yes. mindless group of troopers. And they were. it shows how they're able to play into the Astartes um, kind of... Well, their codex. Their predictions. The they, yes. Yeah, they're... The way they fight. Yeah, what, however you fight warfare, like, if you're in Astartes, you're probably doing it this way. Mm-hmm. This is the tactical mm-hmm. advantage you'd look for. But also you have a, a little, like, as an Astartes, you suffer from hubris mm-hmm. to some degree. That is very easy to play off of yeah. from their uh, opponents. Go, go for the head? Okay, well, let's bounce them off of that trajectory. Exactly. They, let's remove the head yeah. from them. They wind up in the trenches? Cool. Let's feed, you know, let's feed a open line for them to let's come sonic, forward. Let's Sonic that was them. a That was a nightmare <laughs> for my ears, actually. It I, was crazy. It gave me chills listening to that sonic explosion. <laughs> Hounds of Bedlam was the most intensive uh, sound and foley design uh, that I have done. It was... I knew it, man. I was calling the sound production. <laughs> Something was special it, it about was, this. It was so much work. So um, I went uh, I went to a firing range um, here in town to collect all the, the audio effects for... Because um, I wanted more... I wanted more bass. I wanted more... Just... I had some stuff that I had recorded openly but i want some stuff that was just a little bit like let's let's get a bigger caliber of of ammunition let's do something <laughs> and um this episode i learned the importance of yeah you can wear headphones to like plug out the sound but you better wear earplugs under the headphones because that first round went off and i <laughs> was like i just need a few moments to recover that would be great <laughs> um but i think that you can definitely feel it specifically in that final episode where they're fighting the astartes is it just there's it's more than a tangible of like, yeah, we have like the same couple effects that we use. We retweak them. But when you have hundreds of different effects for the the rounds, the sound weapon. And again, Slanesh, you have to put sonic weaponry in there of at course, some point. Like what, yes. So being able to. Yeah, it's those tiny little things that yeah. shows that you actually have an in-depth understanding. What makes of, the faction cool. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So again, like that was such an incredible war scene to do that. Every single one trying to do something new, trying to up the ante. Right. And five was from a production value. They're, they're just hours and hours and hours of collection of uh, sound effects and Foley to make that one work. So in episode five, it's kind of the culmination of everything. Um, they do manage to get the Space Marine they need mm-hmm. thanks to the Sebastian with his perfect attack, which completely um, incapacitates the Astartes, but leaves him alive. Mm-hmm. So there, he's alive. The the de- the witch mm-hmm. doctor, she transports them to some other realm. They they do bring... They, they kind of fold the Immaterium towards yeah. the, the natural world. Uh, and Rudolph says that like, we're not on the same world we're on. No. You know, we're not looking at the same sky. The trees turn into 
flashes Towers of, of bodies that are rising into the sky. Jeez. And you do a really good job of evoking the imagery around them, but also matching the music to whatever it is you're describing. You know, the screams in the background, just the <laughs> horror and the terror. So music, music credit, uh, Robert Renato Hawk. Okay. Audiorum, Very. The, that's him? Yeah. So Man, he's so good. He's yeah. amazing. Has been uh, participating in all of the, the audio dramas. The sound effect for the, the screams wow. actually comes from an Aztec whistle. So, um, oh, wow. I like to go into different music stores and whether you have those like old, um, those drums. I'm not a musician, but the, the drums that have, you can take a wood piece around a metal bowl mm. and it's like a singing bowl or something right. like that. Found a like a an Aztec or uh, Mayan. I the, the cultural origin is I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, you blow through it and it creates a shriek. And so, just recording, standing in a shop, wow. screaming <laughs> with this whistle in multiple different ways. Those oh, are man. the those human screams, and it is it is terrifying. It, it was it, it was crazy. And it's also a lot easier on the voice actors' throats because they don't have to you know just have <laughs> loops of them screaming. Yeah. we can artificially do it, but it also had to sound otherworldly because. Yes. After Echo of Satellite 66B, I thought if we were going to be touching demons and their voices and stuff again, the other appearance was Cog and Crimson, where mm-hmm. they're a little bit more, um, I'll, we'll say nurgly. They're a little bit more bloated. They're a little bit more flowing through a ship, a little bit more guttural. Slanesh to me is a little bit more of a shriek. Mm. Sure. It, but it has to be legible and it has to feel like pain. It, it has to be the symptom of pain. And I think that this um, effect was able to capture it, it was it was very good for me um <laughs> uh, uh, well, like, for others not it so served much its, it served its purpose of transporting me into the demon yeah. world um but the craziest thing like my mm-hmm. big scene for all five parts okay is what happened in that demon world um so oh, sable yeah. sable who has been people have witnessed even his spirit existing now in the real world now that they're in the demon world he's manifesting himself oh, a piece of him there yeah yeah and so he's showing himself and he's walking up to these this astartes body and then uh they describe how because it's in another world he just dips into the armor and peels it back oh. and i just i pictured wax in my yeah. brain and then oh. he dips into the astartes skin and peels that back and it just it sounds like play-doh or plasticine just being just being lifted hmm. molded shaped and yeah. he just describes going deeper stretching and bending the, the ribs out of the way the oh <laughs> my god but it just i pictured this body doing things that is completely impossible for a body to do it also works very well just in an audio medium because your imagination can do the heavy lifting. Absolutely, yeah. You just put that crunch you, in your bone, and yeah, you supply yeah. the the stimulus for yeah. me. You know, yeah. you, and really get your brain to do yeah, the film absolutely. The rest of the lines. Yeah, it was it was so visceral when I was hearing it. Like <laughs> it's I'm, disgusting. I was shaking. It, it's very uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of crushed cabbage uh, in that as well. <laughs> just uh, take a lot of uh, cabbage rolls and crush those for that watery. You're ruining this for <laughs> no, me. It's a demon world. It's not real. It's not real, Aaron. <laughs> um, but uh, there's also like wood shavings. So I um, would like pick up old bark and then scrape and peel when bark <laughs> is um, fragile enough. You can actually peel the whole bark away, but leave the wood without any sort of cutting. And that's the sound of bone. And so we're using real oh. organic materials to create these effects. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sound engineering is crazy. It's a field I'm very sound. surprised how in-depth you're going. Yeah. But when I when I listen to the outcome of this, maybe it shouldn't surprise me at all because it feels <laughs> you, you put intense. In the yeah, and I, I'm glad that that's the scene because when – 
uh, the, this fractured piece of, of sable spirit steps into the body and then pulls it over like oh, a hood. Yeah, like, he, and then he's oh, inhabiting it like a puppet. Oh, God. He just steps into it like he's wearing a new suit. <laughs> yes, they describe yeah. that, especially because, um, a man, hunter. it's mm. such well-written. You tie back to the fact that Sable loved his uniforms and he had all his old memorabilia there. Yeah. And, I'm glad that you, you, oh, you got that. That man, appearance means a lot. The dissection of this could take a long time. Like, I, I have read enough official 40k <laughs> stuff to know that i prefer cold open stories that's the new banner you know uh, lore hammer, lore hammer. Prefers cold <laughs> open stories uh, i thank you though like it, it yeah. means, i just want to make sure that people have an entertaining experience listening that they can jump and, and be a part of it as well i, I that is the culmination of that episode really that is our, our climactic moment where that piece of sable is able to be brought back but it's not complete there's still a piece of him missing yeah and we figure out where that last piece has been hiding the whole time yeah and and then the whole okay so uh, this is where my question yeah. comes because you kind of leave it open-ended um and we did warn you that there would be spoilers I mean, in we've this thrown enough out on yeah it. so don't be upset don't come at us but <laughs> it turns out um and they had mentioned way back that his sable's soul was fractured it was Split. split yeah but they never really offer a resolution in that moment and it kind of just slips from the attention of everyone until this last moment mm-hmm. when sable is putting on his new astartes pants <laughs> you know filling them out it's a tight fit <laughs> yeah. mark 10 as, uh, blue jeans as his demon body because also at this point maybe we haven't mentioned it's very obvious to anyone outside looking in that he has ascended oh yes this is not a human, a human anymore who has ascended to demonhood he yeah, is now nice. a demon and there is something very off about him as he's stretching in as he was walking up to the body and opening yeah. it for himself like yeah. it was horrific but you know he's a demon mm-hmm. um but yes you talk about how his soul was fractured and it never came back until that last moment when the demon stands up and starts lumbering toward his once brother mm-hmm. rudolph and then you know the realize it realization kind of hits on rudolph it's not that, the same it's not exactly his brother something's different yeah yeah he recognizes something's different and then he kind of has this creeping suspicion that it's not quite done it's not quite finished um, in the end, they are their purpose. Um, Sebastian's and the witch. I can never Riovi. Riovi. Yeah. Sebastian and Riovi. Their intent now is to kill Rudolph, or at least rip the part of Sable's soul from Rudolph's body, which would probably kill. Which him. would probably kill him <laughs> in the process. Yeah. Yes, um, and then place it, give it back to Sable. Yes. The so ascended. He has demon. been a vessel for that fractured piece this because, whole time because and, Rudolph's betrayal of his brother, handing up like really tipping off the inquisition and rudolph thinking i can escape here i can finally do my brother in this complicated emotion of wanting to kill your brother yeah but i did it i got him killed they've brought him back and finding out that when that happened when he got killed a little piece of his brother leaped into him yeah and he's been carrying it all this time to dive even deeper there are like some there's some level of like patricide and like killing your brother killing a family member yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that Mm. is it kind of elevates murder like murder is bad but murdering your brother is worse yeah you know murdering someone that is your blood is worse is is a worse um like mark upon your soul than just murdering an innocent or and something. that's what happens yeah it, does it take feels a mark like that him. oh man like the depth that it feels like you put into the specific aspect of this it, it's well written it's well thought out um but i can't even <laughs> let's go back to the end because i'm not even at my question yet okay. 
<laughs> so he realizes and they tell him like, well, you're now the missing piece and we need to extract this and give it back to Sable. And Rudolph refuses mm-hmm. because he's sticking to his guns of anti-chaos. Well, anti- Anti-occult, anti-brother. Yes. Like, you know, I- exactly. I won't bring my brother back. Why would I do that? And, and yeah, he said that one line, um, I would rather die mm-hmm. than have him come back. Yeah. So he takes his last gun, he puts it under his chin um sebastian in a crazy moment a kind of of he's friendship yeah. yeah says like all right you know like go for it and so he the trigger pulls mm-hmm. but does are they are they able to pull sable's soul off of rudolph put it into this and are the hounds of sable riding now as the hounds of bedlam i would like to leave some ambiguity up to that to the listener it's very it's purposefully meant to do that in the show so i was curious yeah that ambiguity is i think very important to how we receive the story but i would give listeners two things to consider one uh sebastian is very close to to rudolph physically physically he is very close to him as is his uh demonic half assembled brother um (laughs) It would not surprise many people to think that these superhuman figures would be able to reach in and wrestle the lasgun out or to remove it from his chin of course. in the time it takes a human to pull a trigger. That's consideration number one. Consideration number two is we do get that last very heart-wrenching moment because it's the story of brothers, you know, mm-hmm. whereas Rudolph never got the brother that he needed from Sable. He actually found a brother in with Sebastian. Sebastian. Yeah. And so Sebastian really said, and it's actually interesting because Sebastian, we, there's some interesting stuff that is about him and his backstory when we see his face shift and, and mm-hmm. stuff there. But we get a brother who's saying, you know, I understand that you're going to do what you're going to do, but I'm very disappointed. that Sure. This is the, the yeah. It, there's almost a hint in Sebastian's voice that it's like, there's an inevitability for what's happening. Yeah. And he said, it It feels like he says, it doesn't matter what you do. Like, I'm going to get what I want anyway, almost. And, and, and if Rudolph pulls the trigger, the idea is, you know, at death, your spirit leaves. Exactly. And if, Would and, that not just offer the perfect opportunity for them to harvest Sable's soul? It depends. If if, if it's uh, wrapped up with, uh, with Rudolph, what's to say that it doesn't immediately cross over into the Immaterium and it just falls into that large swirling nexus sure. where even other warp creatures can feed on it yes. or take it? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of potential there yeah. for it to go either way. Yeah. Um, I, I, there are some clues. Okay, I would encourage people to make their own verdict on it. Okay, um, it was good, yeah. it, and it's totally worth it. I for me, I love the idea of Sable is now whole and complete, and now the Hounds of uh, Sable are really Sable. the Hounds of Bedlam. They are okay, fully. That was my full, next yeah, question. When do, in the entire show mm-hmm. they call themselves the Hounds of Sable? Yes, um, and they never once mention the Hounds of Bedlam. In fact, yeah. I think the Bedlam word Bedlam is only ever mentioned once. It's only mentioned once in the entire thing. Yeah. yeah. So the the idea is just you know uh, Sable is removed from power um, before the story begins, and so they are kind of a a restless beast. There are different animals in the animal kingdom. Like a, a lion is a the the king of the jungle. It is a fierce predator. A a jackal, or actually better, a, a jaguar, or one of these big cats, uh, stalks its prey. And they, but hounds are, in some ways, they're pack hunters. They're a little more they, wild. They're a little more wild. They have hierarchy though. Yes. And I do really appreciate the the idea that with with the hounds and what the metaphor is, even without sable. They're out there stalking the woods, 
So mm-hmm. even, whether Sable returns does or does not, you know yeah. that there's still this force. There's a rank still. In, yeah, yeah. A and, and the machine still needs to move. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's something about the hounds of Sable that realized that, which was very cool. Mm-hmm. It was very nice to see them uh, operate and go through reports still and pick targets. And all right, still here's, here's our new yeah. objective yeah. and here's how we're going to reach it. Like even without this man who everyone seemed to absolutely adore. Yeah. And a lot of that is credit to Sebastian, though, being able to keep them all together long enough right. to take this initiative, to make this happen. And Sebastian is kind of a, an interesting figure who he's, you know, friends with Rudolph, but, you know, he was still loyal to the brother. He has to play both worlds. And I, I love Sebastian, the the character. He's a great fun. And my favorite scene for him is when he comes in and Rudolph has gone into an estate that they, because they've invaded another hive city and Rudolph is sitting in... Uh, an estate he's next to the tepidarium this like bathroom where a woman having heard the hounds have come she has slit her throat yeah or she's her, committed her wrist. suicide she's committed suicide and sebastian comes in and he picks up her hand and his face shifts to be a little bit more feminine like it's he's looking at a mirror mm-hmm. and there's a few points where he's like you know what sort of man do you think i am you know what do you think that this is my appearance sure sebastian yeah he he grapples with the idea of immortality even and consequences beyond these simple actions like he's a very deep thinker he in my mind could be a chaos not not the literal but like what the perpetuals are to 40k is that he can live for a very very long time because he can regenerate his body and live and Hmm. uh indulge in these extremes for a very sure, long definitely, time. Sure, definitely much harder to kill than your standard yeah. traitor guardsman. But what happens to obsession when, or ecstasy when it goes on for a very long time? We don't know how long Sebastian's been doing his stuff for. Sure. He's much older than the other characters. We see him, he can regress his age. We see him that he can just like change his facial appearance. And you get the impression that this is someone who's lived for a very long time, has a form of wisdom about the way that the galaxy operates. And that, or at least has come to some very strong conclusions yeah, about and, how it and, operates. And also the, the trauma that must have been experienced that you have someone working in a, a force of excess, that hole can never be filled. Right. No matter, and he's been working for how long? How long has he been trying to fill the pit? Yeah. So he's a little bit numb, actually, when we encounter him in the story. He's he's very calm. It's, he's resigned almost yes. at some point. Yeah. And he and he's very much going with it. But I, I would encourage listeners to really go, like, what motivates him? What actually is pushing forward? This very old character. Yeah, he's kind of enigmatic, especially yeah. in the beginning half. Yeah. Whereas Rudolph is kind of... I think it's a lot because you're in his head. Yeah. But Rudolph's very like, yeah, tell, here's everything about me. But uh, Sebastian the takes the worst a person harder. you'll ever meet. Oh, exactly. Rudolph was wild. Um, yeah. I, that was all I had mentioned about the story itself. Um, my next thing was Sebastian, I thought was an absolutely stunning casting choice. Like his voice, his mannerisms, whoever that voice actor was. Damon Alums. Uh, wonderful actor. Yeah. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Amazing job. Yeah. Holy crap. I am always really happy with uh the the attention that we get, the casting that we're able to achieve because it is a mix of people who are coming to voice acting for the first time. Maybe they're big fans of 40K and their partners are like, "You should actually go do the voice thing." We see a lot of that of people getting tagged from friends in their network or their spouses or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then some people who are 40K fans and they are professionals. It's also and, their vocation. And it's, yeah. yeah it's, they're like, I, I love this as a kid. Or, you know, I or I have kids that love this. <laughs> I, I know Ooh. that we had, we, had, we had one case of this where uh, there was uh, a mom uh, uh, who was like, yeah, my kids are really into 40K. I thought it'd be kind of fun to be, you know, a, a kick-ass uh, soldier in the, the 41st uh, millennium. And I'm just like, this is exactly the persona that we are looking for. <laughs> you know? like, she was fantastic. So. Uh, yeah, so Sebastian was 
a phenomenal like he just stood out for me mm-hmm. everyone else was absolutely great still mm-hmm. but sebastian specifically for me um and then yeah the last thing i had was sound production and background music like it drew me in it sucked me in it kept me there even when sometimes the you know i would lose something in the voices or i wasn't paying attention for a second the music just brought me right along brought my heart pounding when it needed to <laughs> made me morose and sad when it needed to made me horrified so oh, thank you it, it, it it's was... definitely not a passive listening experience i think that no. the, the audio dramas ask a lot of you to yeah. actually focus and yeah. to take in that experience and fill in those blanks with your own imagination the rewarding experience is when you're there and you're you're paying attention the goal is that you know it feels like you're there yeah my suggestion as well for listening to these um which by now you should have already done <laughs> first of all um yeah but man doing this in a moment where you can like shut the blinds yeah close the eyes it's raining outside yeah preferably. lie in bed sit down on a couch try not to have as many distractions as possible because these aren't like audiobooks like these are yeah. full things That's the where misconception, yeah. you really need to devote brain power to build the scene that is being described to you. And yeah. it's so rewarding. Yeah. The more engaged you are, the more you'll get. You can still pick them up and listen. They're not. Yeah, of course. Way, of but, course. I think the way yeah. to really eke out every level of enjoyment, though, is yeah. to truly focus yeah. on them. Yeah, well, it's like yeah. watching TV. You don't you're not in the other room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you can throw stuff on when you're at work or whatever. But are you really watching The Office really? for the 7th yeah. time? You know, <laughs> so or is it just background noise. Exactly. This should not be background noise. This should give full attention. Thank you. Anyways, Hounds of Bedlam. Phenomenal. Uh, so when do they change their name from Hounds of Sable to Hounds of Bedlam? So I would argue that once Sable has has uh, been split, once he's been fractured, they are, to all reputation, the Hounds of Sable, but they are operating as a force of Bedlam, a f- force of aimless. They're trying to find their purpose again, and once they find that purpose, they are really a force of bedlam. Okay. So it's, it's a bit metaphoric in that way, but if you were going to say that, you know, Sable comes back at the end and he, you know, his spirit is completed. If that's the narrative that you choose at the end, they are definitely the hounds of bedlam by the end. Well, that, that that makes Mm. sense because Sable is no longer Sable at that point. No, he is something far. He's a demon, you know? And, and, oh, you got to listen to it because no matter what I say, like it's not going to evoke the emotion. I'm that... glad that you picked actually Unless, the like, one of us starts doing sound effects while you're trying yeah, yeah, to describe yeah. it. Mark, stop just rubbing your hand on your body. That's not, <laughs> that's not the scream we're looking for. <laughs> I scream watching him do that. So. <laughs> that's the scream that's we're the looking scream for. We're looking for yeah. But yeah, um, there's a lot of good tidbits in there. Honestly, the, suit, the uniform of how much Sable loved it. You can, you can pick apart no. so much crap in that thing. Um, <laughs> I will say if ever, if there was one of the acts mm-hmm. that I struggled through the most looking back mm-hmm. on it, it is act one. Mm-hmm. It's only because it's the most confusing. And I was at that moment wondering, I'm like, man, do they have a script that I could follow along? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I was, I was like, I thought this guy was a loyalist, but now he's a traitor. And it wasn't until I learned the whole story that act one really found its place for yeah. me. It's, it's, uh, well, it's but if it's intentional, then it's great job. I mean, it's called cold open stories. We're trying That's to throw true. you yeah, into yeah. something and let you, like, I, I always enjoyed that as a kid when you would like huh. pick up, so, huh, who knew where you would pick up a book or something of like a new franchise and you're just, you know, there's more to the edges of your focus. It's like you pick up something like Warhammer for the first time, right? You're like wearing blinders and you're like, this thing about space Marines is cool. Yeah. And then Look you're at like, these little models in blue. And then you're like, what's a Tyranid? 
Yeah. What's a Tau? And as that scope starts to open, it doesn't have to be just Warhammer. It could be if you're a fan of Star Wars or Harry Potter or anything else. It's the idea that you're like, there's some, there's Absolutely. more to this yeah. that I really appreciate when we can throw people in to a, a sense of... That season of exploration yeah. is so new and exciting. And we don't get that a lot of no. more anymore because there has to be a lot of hand-holding and uh, we're trying to do things that admittedly you may have like a, a model range and three more books to try to set up where it's like, no, let's just do a Trader Guardsman story of Slanesh, you know? Like just <laughs> yeah. do something... Just for the sake of, you know, what would what would a fan of this want to see? And yeah. one, one of my favorite uh, things to see was on Reddit. Someone had posted, he was like, I'm a huge Trader Guardsman fan. And this sleeper audio drama has just come across my radar. And I am like, I am invested. I'm like into one of like the passions of Slanesh or invest like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, has, yeah. is he now yeah, dressing yeah. up at home and he's like wearing the fatigues? Which room is your shrine in? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen your wife and children in a couple days. <laughs> oh no, they are the room. They're stretched oh, out there. Oh, the wallpaper, so. oh yeah. yeah Ugh, no. Sounds Slanesh. It was a good one. I, I yeah. was really happy with how Hounds came out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, enough about Hounds. Let's do the final one that we're going to do today, which is uh, the counterfeit counterfeit blade. Yeah. Okay, cool. So little clip, and we'll be right back. We leap through the space beyond space. The skiffs navigate the labyrinth realm, and when we emerge. Safety and tranquility of the webway is ripped away. We step into mayhem, into war. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. on a galactic scale. Entire sectors expunged of life and erased from existence. The Ingear and their soulless Necronti fight the figure. We have gods on our side. For Kane! God's words empower us, and we take on the Necronti with only a handful of warriors. Lanthridam, always the quickest to the front, lifts his blade as it darts high. Rust and perish! So that is Egg Trill, and Mark, you listened to that one. Yeah, okay, I like this one. Out of all the ones I've listened to, this one's my favorite. Really? Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Oh, boy. I'm just, better I'm, than March for Mars. Oh, way better, man. It has knights. I know, I'm so I surprised. Know. You, Xenos traitor. <laughs> I, I mean, in, in hindsight, there are things that I do different for uh, for all of them. However, there's really not anything I would change for Counterfeit Blade. Like March for Mars, I know there's a lot of stuff I'd change for the authenticity of the knights and their manner of speech. I'm not very good at gothic dialogue, to be fair. Uh, what? You don't speak a language that is dead come back 40,000 years <laughs> in the future that only any smart people know? Let's bypass that yeah. argument entirely. Agtrill, though, is 
Well, you tell me tell me about what your your impression was. Well, it's a three, so, it's a three, yeah, three I don't know anything yeah, about so it. So I'll, I'll give, give you a, a little summary. Yes, Basically, okay. the way I would describe this as psychic archaeology with an Eldar. So it's a bone singer who uh, goes to like this psychic wraithbone coral mm-hmm. set on like a volcanic wasteland, and you know, eventually she's trying to work her way in psychically and. Uh, um, like reading the veins of the coral, trying to find a way inside, and she's spending days upon days. But during this time, like what really sticks out to me is like the 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 dialogue of the lady is so eloquent. The one line when describing this like coral wraithbone construction uh, is it with it uh, it was withstood a million tomorrows. What's one more? Wow! And just like this, like everything's so poetic and like she's very good the dialogue's amazing this is what i'm trying to say it it is the most poetic of all the stories because let's be fair we're talking about space elves yeah that would be a bit of a disservice to not have that sort of esoteric way of speaking there's yeah there's definitely something elevated that everyone Mm -hmm. subscribes to the eldar whether Mm -hmm. it's you know the way they walk or talk or even wage war yeah and you and you pick up on that right away very cool writing aliens is it's got to be tough like writing from a alien's perspective but i think you did a good enough job of it as you pretty much can you know like the perspectives have to be very odd and alien and what we get by leaping into this is there are no human characters yeah so we are naturally providing our own human associations to them and and i think that that's a pretty fair way to do it when you have humans and aliens interacting you have to talk about the otherness this is an eldar perspective but uh the story of agtrol is you're right it is uh, eldar uh, archaeology uh psychic 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 (laughs) trying to find a, a linkage to the past in order to really forestall the dying of the Eldar race. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we encounter Ben Aruin, who is our protagonist of this story. And we find that there's a, a creative connection, though, to uh, the Eldar of the past, the very distant past, mm-hmm. of the war in heaven. Yeah. When the Eldar are fighting against the, well, it's the uh, Eldari are fighting against the uh, Necron slash Necron tier. And what we're getting is um, characters in the distant past who are effectively seeding the future to try to provide the the Eldar of now in 40K with some sort of hope, mm-hmm. some sort of resource. Some sure, sort we of can't beat them now, but let's hope that we survive later and pass on something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you really did like a lot of like foreshadowing and like that you did a great job of describing like the weight of like being able to see every future mm. it was super cool and like jariella uh, is the, the the elder in the past who yeah can, has the gift of foresight yeah but also can't really make heads or tails of what she's seeing she yeah. she can see these shadows is how it's described that her vision isn't that like i'm looking right next to you yeah and right. i can see if, she can see these <clears throat> shadows but whereas she'd normally see an elder are uh, she sees a a shadow that is constantly flaking away, that is breaking apart, that <laughs> is turning to ash, and that really is because of the the machinations of uh, Slanesh and the fall of the Eldar hmm. and what's that constant feeding on their. Oh souls. wow, yeah, it's someone who's never even considered Slanesh now seeing the future where the Slanesh exists, constantly trying to steal away yeah, the and Eldar. So, and, and this is a, okay. And this is a story of someone who's in the war in heaven, thinking of how will I save my you know my descendants yeah and it's like there's this total out of left field thing that is not even central to the story just to understand that you know the the eldari are about to fall in some very hard times yeah it's gonna be a really long fight yeah so let's get into it so Mm -hmm. she event the main character and her bodyguard yep there's two eldar uh they make their way inside eventually and you know they find like ancient ruins essentially from vol 
Vol. Yep. They find wow. Vol's forge where he made like the one hundred sword. Okay, and it's super cool. And it's like, um, and as she's going through, she's getting like you get these flashbacks of like these ancient Eldar characters who were gifted the swords of Vol during Jariella the war. and Lanthrilak are the two characters. Yeah, so. um, you hear in that clip uh, of the one guy talking like Rustin, Rustin Parish, like he's like he's this ancient Eldar hero who's wielding a sword of all against a Necron. Wow, like, like a mythological creature almost. Yeah, and like your way of describing the sword, it's like when it's swung, it's like, you know, what it, can stand it? It, it, it? Put it this way, the, the conceit of taking this is that, you know, people go, oh, the, the swords are metaphors for spaceships. And I'm like, that's cool. But something very 40k of a sword is a sword. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the, forged by a god, yeah. no less. Yeah. So when they swing these blades by by holding them, their naturally quickened abilities are even faster when they and each sword yeah. looks different. We have one that looks like a halberd, there's one that looks like a, a, a sword. Okay. Like they have yeah. different shapes for their wielders. And when Lanthrilac the Swift is running through combat, he earns his name um, his blade, which is also a bit of a, a problem as the story goes on, but when he swings, it releases tons of psionic energy. And so he doesn't even have to physically touch a Necron. He swings in their general direction, and it is these light beams that crackle out and are shaving them, you know, in twain. And he's able to leap across the battlefield. It's yeah, and you as describe close to it superhero like, Eldar as we can potentially imagine. Yeah, you describe it like our numbers are few and they are. Theirs were endless, but it, they were no match for us. Like wow. they're just wiping. It's the poetic speak of like they, they're also storytelling. Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. Eldar love yeah. the the cre- their myths. Mm. Yes, so those legends actually we get to see with the physical action what happens. Yeah, to build and, those legends, and it was sweet too. Like because these legendary characters were talking about the gods who are fighting beside them, and like they would do chants like for Malkansha Cain or whatever, and like you know. You that know God. he's off on the battlefield fighting in another exactly. quadrant like, and he's screaming. And the, yeah. like the the one main character from the past. Jadriella. Yeah, like he's clearly a zealot. Oh, Lanthrilak. Lanthrilak is, Lanth- yeah. he is, yeah. Because the Eldar have so much restraint in the modern yeah. uh, time uh, timeline, Jadriella and uh, Lanthrilak are also two cores. They're the red oni, blue oni of fiction. It's You've got one who's hot and passioned yeah. fiery temper and you've got another one who's cool reserved but also can't make critical decisions <laughs> mm, and so sure you have, gets bogged behind trying to reason what the best thing exactly is. Yeah, and so yeah. both of them play off very well and they're also in a relationship together <laughs> yeah. and i'm like i love that opposite attract component but their way of waging war is you know cons- really considered when they encounter the necron yeah uh, who have uh, well they were necron tier they've now become necron they've gone through the the biotransference and now they're fighting them, and you realize that you know we have to pursue a resurrection barge. We have to you know actually put them down and make it stick. Right. Yeah. How do we do keep that? Keep them down. So their journey in the past is we're going to just keep pursuing them because we're going to find their their overlords. We're going to find whatever these um, devourers of stars are. We're going to put yeah. an end to these these creatures, and it takes them to some some battle fronts. But because it's the gods. They're always playing their own games. They always had their own very Greek, you know, Roman. They're playing three-dimensional chess against each other as much as they are in the war. Yeah. And the reason for the title of the counterfeit blade is Lanthrax Blade is not actually a true um, emboldened sword of all. all. It is is when when Vol got to 99, 
the last one was a, oh, a forgery right, right, right. in order to trick uh, Kane because of their own drama that they are experiencing right. between each other. And that's the one that he was given? And that's the one that he's been given. Son yeah. of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and damn it, the gods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that comes back to bite him. Yep. And yeah, you know, he's not in 40K, so he's, <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> he, he's dead, but his memory lives on. And because uh, they tell the stories, yeah. that Benaruin is actually able to remember that story. And it, it, I think yeah. there's a great antidote. The, the salve to her situation is she's up against a Necron. Yeah. And her way of effectively bluffing is. Whereas the Necron can remember things, but its memory has still been a little, you know, he's a little off kilter because the long yeah. journey of time, but she has stories. And yes, they've metamorphosized and they've changed because stories, it's an oral tradition, but she's able to remember enough from her stories because she's an archaeologist, a bone singer, that she's able to play back some of his lines yeah. that he would have spoken in the the War in Heaven. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is enough to make this Necron actually stop and go... Yeah. Wait, I know that I've lived for millennia and my brain is maybe not as sharp as it used to be. Sure. But this is the worst sense of deja vu I've ever received in my <laughs> undead life. Yeah. Like, like, let's talk about the Necron. Like, sure. I think you did such a great job of like um, just truly capturing like the inescapableness of him. He's like, threatening as hell. Yeah. Like I his dialogue. Him. It's like, oh, you like. Oh, you think you won this? Like I'm in mortal motherfucker. Like he, yeah, in the war in heaven, he they they kill him and he he comes, comes back, right back and, and he it, kills yeah. him again. He He's Agent Smith. Let's be fair. Yeah, he, yeah. He's jumping, but you know, between frames. Um, <laughs> but but by the by the modern 40k timeline, he also has something that I think Necron fans will really appreciate is his phase technology. Sure, that was sweet too. And he's, he it's very hard. Because I know that there is the, the lore equivalent of when they are phasing at a smaller frame, you can't maybe do it all at once. Or if you do, it takes more energy to do so. So he phases small parts of himself as he's moving through pillars and he's chasing after Ben Ruin. Yeah. And she, in her quick thinking, is like, I'm going to use this as an advantage because he's not doing the whole thing at once. And if he phases one part, I can get the other. Yeah. And he's still threatening enough to actually outplay that. Yeah. That it's not just like, I'm going to outthink him. Snap, snap. And yeah, I, yeah. sure. Problem solved after like one time. Yeah. 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 No, it's like he, he, he just keeps pretty much laughing at them. Wow. Like essentially, like it's just such yeah. a terrifying, unstoppable force. And what, and what beats him, right? Like yeah. how, how he, do you beat something that even when phase? he's been yeah. beaten, he beaten, he just comes back. Like, mm-hmm. he, yeah. Um, but eventually, there's definitely an inevitability about Necron. So yeah. if you're managing to convey yeah. that, like, yeah, I'm and, for and it. like the the voice, obviously, like all, I'm not even gonna talk about the audio because all of it's just so good. Like it's it's yeah. How many times do we have to say it before people? Yeah, it's like pick ten out of ten. Yeah, yeah. But just pick it up. Just like pick it up. It's, <laughs> it's gonna feel great to listen. You're gonna feel like you're there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So that that's kind of the story. You know, at the end, um, like. So they're back in the Wraithbone um, complex, complex or whatever, and the Overlord's chasing the two main Eldar yep. characters, and they figure out like yeah how to beat them. And at one point, yeah, they f- they learn yeah to bluff, make that sword. Like maybe this is the sword that killed you all those years ago. And the only reason that that bluff works is because Jiriella, with her foresight, is able to foresee the schemes of fate. Yeah, schemes of fate to say this action will put the, you know if I put this sword in the water. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It will be unearthed by a fisherman in a hundred years. Wow. And that's yeah, going to get yeah, carried yeah. to another temple. And these aliens are going to be scared of it when lightning strikes. So they're going to take it somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. And, and it's that very complex chess game that Eldar are so fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, play. yeah. And the only action she can think of is I'm going to bluff because it's clearly afraid of this blade because Jiriella yeah. put it in the – really, she set the future for this weapon 
to arrive at the time when her far descendant will require it. And yeah. it's enough to really hold up and say, this has killed you before yeah. and it can kill you again. That's yeah. a crazy focus. Like you picked apart one of the true essential like needs of the Eldari race. And that's that looking forward yeah. aspect. <laughs> Anything I can do to help my race in the future is more important than anything I can do right now. Yeah. And so that focus on forward looking and making an entire story. It, what a great choice, man. Yeah. Well, I feel it's central to the setting is I looked at this and say, this is a story about ancestry. And I think it's, it was also one I um, wrote while I was going through a lot of uh, troubling times last year. Hmm. And what I, the, the perspective that I had was that for everyone listening, we are all here on this planet at this time because our ancestors didn't die. <laughs> that, or they were able to carry on their legacy by having kids, by pushing forward, that they didn't give up, that they struggled through perseverance. Like, imagine yeah. our ancestors who were cave people, right? Yeah. Just they didn't step on the wrong tile and fall off a cliff, or they didn't succumb to a very cold night, or they hmm. helped someone who then helped them in return. By the sheer benefit of our ancestors, we carry that legacy of strength and of endurance and of survival. Hmm. And because... Our ancestors didn't give up. We've inherited that strength. So the least that we can do is live our lives to the fullest and try to play into, I am the inheritor of a great persistence. Mm. And I think that that is very important wow. for the Eldar that, yes, they have gone through such a ringer through the, the stories. And we know that them as a race, they are the dying. You know, you've got the Tower of the Young. You've got the Great Devourer, the Tyranids. The Eldar are the dying. What do you do? The only thing you can do is to say, I'm going to look forward. For Benaruin, it's looking to the past to try to secure her present. And for Jariella in the past, it's looking to the future because she realizes her her present is forfeit. Right. The Necron are going to steamroll a lot of the, the known galaxy. But she knows that something's going to happen that even broken you know the ancestors will survive and it's no mistake yeah. that banner ruin actually means you know born of ruin in you know in our elder lexicon, lexicon. Hmm. so it's this idea of you know yeah we the race hits a major low wow but they're yeah. still able to to hold on and i prefer that for the eldar too the, the idea that yeah they're constantly losing yeah but the options were you know am i going to do an avatar of Kane that gets beat up by space marines <laughs> or am i going to yeah. do something that really matters you know and yeah. that was kind of where this story took place and the, the War in Heaven is a really rich setting to yeah. play with. Um, like, Zealot Eldar really were mm. making me frisky. Listening to them fight in the War of Heaven, man. Like, I, I just want to do, like, that in 40k now. Just a bunch of Zealot Eldar. They are so much fun. Because yeah. you realize that they have to restrain a lot for their path. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and we do get that out of... Um, the Path of the Zealot, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> a new best-selling book from Not a Games Workshop. It'll be Cold <laughs> Open Stories, Lorehammer's favorite. Uh, I, I, would, I would love to actually just do an army of the Eldari from the War in Heaven. Like, sure. With that, I think that that would be where the fantasy line would actually play very well for those conversions. <laughs> um, just because it's really cool to see Eldar fully engrossed in their emotions sure before yeah, like the kind of like a, a full a fully realized eldar yeah one who yeah. is more than capable of experiencing many different things at one time yeah. yeah and i think that's why again these two hyper passionate individuals work well but it's also you realize they're already falling down that path of 
you can only do one thing at a time. Sure. You've got one. Yeah. You've got Lance Warlock, who's just impassioned, and Jay Riella, who's cool. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like just a yeah. study on ourselves, whether or not, yeah. like you know, you claim that you can uh, be anything, be whoever, yeah. but inevitably, like you fall into your own path. Yep. Yeah. Your own hubrises for all. Yeah. Roles absolutely. Roles too, so. Yeah. Yeah. So the Eldar, like, makes the bluff, and the mm-hmm. Necron just. Fades away. Well, wow. Not phases. In, not in, he phases, phases away. away. He doesn't turn to dust. And this isn't the, the Rust snap. and perish? Rust and perish. No, no, no. Yeah. He, yeah. So the, the, the bluff is enough to work. And the that handing down of stories, which we probably have the Harlequins to thank at some point yeah. of, of helping that. But she's able to kind of remember his cant or his way of speaking, his quotes and his lines that yeah. he would have screamed in the war. And you have a Necron that's like, hold the phone. I, did, I went to bed. I woke up and... <laughs> What is this? Now, my yeah. alarm clock says 60 million <laughs> years. Yeah. yeah. And this is really familiar. And then you have the exact same blade. Wow. And, and yeah. you, you can't help but feel like, I overslept, but things have not, you know, <laughs> gone my way the, yeah. the way I was expecting. You're tapping the watch like, is, is this, this right? <laughs> and yeah, he, he makes a tactical yeah. uh, well, exit. I, I like that, though, because like... You know, he's a he's an overlord. He's not just going to run in and get slaughtered. I don't know. It would have felt like you've just, got a blade that can you you swing the wrist and it like rips you know entire yeah like it it would have just been like a slap in the or the Necron's face kind of like he's better than that. He didn't yeah. need to go out that way again. There's definitely like I think you can play the Necron multiple different ways, and people are too scared. Like a lot of them are just like, oh, they're unkillable robots, and they have no like respect or um kind of like they don't weight life with anything but to an overlord like yeah sure he's a prideful being he does why would he risk dying yeah he's a great line for that actually is like you know what to the same way as where ben rooms like you know what's another uh day more as the structure stands yeah they're both ancient races he even has his own moment of it is like well you know what is time to creatures like yeah and he, he, he starts to like make his way out and you're like this is another long war for them. It's, it's yeah, maybe Benaruin is, you know, she takes the sword and gets handed down more generations. But it's a great bluff because all of its magic had been tapped. Mm. All of its energies were a forgery. So the fact that the Necron did not, like, it had enough energy to bluff. Yeah. But the Necron's like, I'm just not going to take this chance because yeah. he, he is the one of the only, he is really the only one in the story uh, who actually felt it. He, he... He gets a point blank, uh, very close acquaintance with the the blade. Many times. Many times uh, as they fight <laughs> over the battlefield. And it does have a bit of a damaging effect, probably more on his ego than anything. Okay. Yeah. But you can't get hit with a god blade and not wake up with a little bit of sure. residual There's loss. There has to be some kind of consequence, especially yeah. when you're merging a race yeah. who has zero psychic presence yeah. or ability to work in that psychic yeah. uh, arena to be killed with something on the level that a god has made yeah. you. And for so. Immortai the Necron, that consequence is he learns fear. Ah, That's cool. okay. He, he can come back a million times, but all those battles with the, the ancient Eldari and then this moment of seeing the blade again he actually has gained something that's very human. It's not this omnipotent power. It's he has a moment where he actually his foot kind of has a half step back. And because the elder are super focused on the ability to read body language and, and the minutia on the battlefield realizes that that step is enough to go. 
He's seen this. Yeah. Something made him pause in what I'm doing. And because he's been chasing me around and he broke my arm and all this other stuff, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not me. So what changed? And you realize it's this blade. And yeah. so wow. the greatest gift that Lanther lack, although he passes, uh, he's killed, his gift to the future is he gave a Necron fear. And wow. Jay Riella gave an ancestor a blade to be able to have a connection to the past and a, you know, a a strength to stand up for yeah. the future. Those are incredible gifts to receive from your ancestors to say, I can endure in the, even in these tough times now, and maybe there can be a future for the Eldari. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I only had one other question. What is a Nightstone at the very beginning? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there is some interesting stuff in old, old books for, for 40K that I found where uh, the way that um, Wraithbone is described is either very like very much like coral hmm. or it's also kind of like a, a broken glass. It, That's Aaron Dembski Bowden's quote. Yeah. Yeah. And so with those, I really like, well, maybe it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. It's, it's strong like coral, but it's got a sheen on it that has that kind of like slowly decaying glass stain for it. Hmm. What that stone though is a, we imagine that the, um, we see Blackstone being used by Necrons in the current 40K as a way of dampening psychic energies. Or yeah. increasing. Or increasing. Nightstone is the gods of the uh, the Eldar Pantheon actually had a full mastery. Well, Vol did at the very least. Hmm. So what he's done is he has Wraithbone and he has Blackstone and he's actually fused them together into a different form of forged material. So he's able to, with this coral structure, there's this Blackstone it's black stone let's be fair it, it, okay. it, it, it is a black stone i wonder what it could be um, but it, it is the idea that when you encounter or you see this it is something that vol would have been able to play with yeah. and so it's just used to say is is he using it to amplify the powers within a wraith blade yeah that sure it feels like it sounds like an alloy almost yeah. that's like it. Yeah. so we, we're never given the exact example of and nor should we, of what the gods are actually up to, what right. they're doing or why they're doing it. We just can see that, well, they have some other things on the side. Yeah. They're, they're a lot more um, powerful or or they're at least playing at a different tier of what they're able to do. Yeah. That doesn't have an impact on the story. Maybe with the creation of the, the, the Swords of All. But we at least know that he should have been able to play with all of these different materials. He's the god of the forge for the Eldar. Right. Yeah. Cool. So what was Nightstone used for? Uh, it was just the... as a ward, like uh, as she's like preparing herself to like uh, bond, maybe is mm -hmm. the word, with the Raystone construct. She she puts on like a ward or whatever. It's okay. it's very clear what it does, and I it's pretty. But it's just it's the Blackstone. the name of it. Was, she's yeah. an archaeologist, so she would yeah. have been able to maybe just pick this up from another planet or yeah, okay. her other pursuits, and it. We, we're not given the explanation of how they found this world. Yeah. But if you've got something that is covered in Wraithbone, but it's also covered in Blackstone, it's going to be messing with your psychic ability sure. to find it. Yeah. So it, in one way, it can help keep it hidden, but it's kind of like the TARDIS, really. It, what is inside this yeah. structure, you get in there and then you're like, wow, this is a magnificent, huge forge yeah so yeah it can it can it pulls a couple different narrative conceits but yeah it, it was cool too hearing like uh i'm no means an eldar mythology expert mm -hmm. but like hearing them constantly pulling out like names and all that stuff and like i didn't even have to bother to check it you know i just trust you but <laughs> uh oh it was yeah. Not, yeah 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 but it well was it's not lore hammer <laughs> exactly there was actual check research yeah yeah exactly yeah but uh yeah it was just so cool like how you weave like in different like even just 
in casual speech, they'd say, you know, some type of... The crone or, you know... Exactly, just, yeah. you know, just religious stuff. But it was just so nice in it. Well, so with it. the Imperium, you get religious doctrine and, and zealotry. Yeah. With the Eldar, you get legend, storytelling, and myth. Mm-hmm. And I, I always try to find three words that describe each faction to say, what are the, like, what makes them cool? Hmm. Why would I want to play this? And the Eldar have a lot of cool things in the way that they refer to their own mythology, the way that they tell themselves stories that may or may not even be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really to cement their ego. Hmm. Okay. Um, this is just, you know, we actually get to see a little bit of it in the past and how that is impacting them now in the future, which is yeah. which is great. Yeah, it, it was great. I love just just a different alien, you know, so good. Such a such a completely different thing. More aliens are coming. Xenos fans who so, have felt that there's a bit of a glu- uh, a lack in in stories. <laughs> we're gonna our next one. You know, we're gonna be uh, getting the the coalition of uh, auxiliaries and the Tau. So. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, is that uh, is the counterfeit blade inspired by the money mummy? Is it inspired by the mummy? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, they, there's a tomb, they go down, they get attacked by a skeleton, spooky dookie. Yeah, tell us the rituals. truth, huh? I mean, I, I, I tried to get in touch with Brendan Fraser's, <laughs> uh, you know, agent, and Rachel Weiss was actually attached to the project for a short time. I believe that, yeah. 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 She would have made a great Benaruan, like, let's be fair. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, actually, was it was 100% completely based on The Mummy. Uh, Do you like that? Just... Are you proud of me? I did the cultural reference for you. Uh, thank you. Your own... <laughs> when would that movie come out, Eric? <laughs> actually, oddly enough, you know what movie I watched recently? Huh. Scorpion King. Oh, perfect. Oh, wow. <laughs> the best of all the mummies. Yeah. I, I don't know. Mummy, jeez, um, that must have been like early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks for sharing. We got some questions from our Discord people that I've we're going to. Uh, yeah, that we read. First question. Um, or I guess you got it too. I got it. <laughs> all right, go for it. Uh, so, yeah, we did a, a little AMA in our uh, Discord, told people that you were going to be on. Um, so we said, hey, if you got a question for Colin, yep. now's the time. Uh, so let's do this. You know, classic memes here. Can you ask why it's not hot clothes stories? Yeah. Well, hot cross buns was too close. Ah, yeah. Just wanted yeah. to make sure there's okay. no copyright infringement. Yeah. Good Next question. Okay. Uh, what software do you use to put together your episodes, and how long uh, does story slaps slash script writing take you? I'll answer script writing first. Okay. Um, the To write a story usually is, I would say it's an hour a night minimum to be working on a script. Um, that usually goes on for about two months. Hmm. So it's two months of dedicated writing. There is one overlap during a casting call where a story has been written and the casting call is out there, but we, we at least have the the outline of how the story is going to play out and we're just kind of like filling in some of the blanks as right. we go along. Yeah. Yeah. There's rewrites that happen after, of course, after you've recorded some stuff works, some stuff doesn't, and you may have some callbacks. Um, but yeah, you're, you're looking at an hour uh, per night commitment over the course of two months and then hmm. that's just for the writing. Yeah. does not include the rest of the the work. Uh, a single audio drama uh, uh, for 35 minutes, you could be looking at about maybe 20 to 40 hours of work that goes into uh, a single episode. Yeah, okay. It's, and that's just my time. That doesn't include yeah. the actors, the Sure, the other people making music and, forth and like, yeah. yeah. Wow. Or art yeah. for the covers. Like, it, it's, yeah. it's a lot of, a lot of, time goes into these uh, to create something that feels authentic feels lived in and that can transport you away right so next question from bones of smite what inspired you to do this then um i was obviously it's a lot of work it is um i had always had like a a big love for old audio dramas like you know the golden age of radio we're talking about like 50s and 60s like the spirit and or the uh, the shadow um and 
I had listened to a 40K audio drama, or it was an audio book, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I wonder what the audio dramas would be like. And the thing that got me about the audio drama was it just didn't have the immersive feel that I was Mm. looking for as a listener. Okay. And I had been working with you guys actually on on lore posts, and I felt that I was getting a a better handle of the the universe. And I was like, well, let me just try to go ahead and, and write something as a proof of concept. And that's what Echo of Satellite 66B became. Yeah, man. I remember when you showed me that. It blew me away. And, like, you were showing me the first cuts or whatever. Yeah. And, oh, man, it was crazy. It was just really saying, like, I would like to – I want to create something that I would listen to. Yeah. Like, that's the most you can hope for as creative. But each one has now had a incremental, like – you ask me what got me into it. Yeah. That's what got me into it. If you ask sure. me which one, like what makes each one different of like, what was the thing I was trying to achieve radically different for every single one. Yeah. Uh, just the, the, the initiative or the thought like echo was a proof of concept. March was about saying, can we do one without internal monologue? Can we just like whisk people away when all sure, it's only dialogue is exactly. if you're right there with them. Yeah. When all lights have gone out was about how can we do a long story? Cause these were only like 20 minutes. Yeah. So let's do a 45. Let's see how long we can keep people's attention. Cog was, let's do a serialized, you know, story and, and try to work out that pacing. However small was about bringing in other voices, other authors, other scriptwriters. Counterfeit Blade was something, can I speak to something very personal, very emotive to how I have my own worldview hmm. and fuse that with 40K in a way that feels authentic. So Egg Trail is the most personal story uh, to me, that idea of, of strength and resilience and looking to your past, but is also the one that I did probably the most work on research for trying to really get the Eldar story and their creation myth and, and figuring that it out. It felt right. Yeah. Like, it felt like you did do that research for yeah. sure. And th- Well, then Hounds of Bedlam was, I wing it. No. Um, <laughs> that was just to see if I could toss it together. <laughs> was about saying, well, how can I... 20-minute drama. <laughs> <laughs> how do I up the production value? Hounds was mm. about a technical achievement, um, but also we really trying to fill a gap of, there aren't any Traitor Guardsman stories. Yeah. Where, are the, where, do, where do I see this? We got yesterday's news, which was about saying, can we do something that there isn't a fight scene working with another author? So that was Daniel Summerville. Yeah, that's a completely different aspect of 40K. Almost inevitably, 40K involves violence. Yeah, because in the future, there was only war. Yeah. But this is more of a war is on the, can take many different forms. It's are you fighting with combat violence? Or are you fighting a The idea that violence can kind of transcend this physicality. Yeah. Oh. And, and then the, the next one coming out that we're doing the casting call for or right now, really what we're talking about is diversity of voice. Okay. So aliens and global talent. Like this, this is Sweet. our largest reaching global audition that we've done. We, we have a lot of different countries that are participating right now. We do encourage people uh, to say, you know, this is something that if, if you have an accent, English is your second language, this is the one that you probably would say, you know, jump in. You know, a lot of people are concerned about their own pronunciation or if English is a second language. I used to work with uh, with newcomers to, to Canada here uh, and helping people with uh, language levels. There's nothing wrong with having an accent. It's literally, it doesn't change your intellectual level or anything. It just sure, changes yeah. your way of pronunciating the word. Uh, pronunciating, God Lord. That's the way I'm talking. Uh, it just changes your way of, of, of communicating. This is something that we're like, look, whether you are Pacific Islander, uh, Malaysian, Chinese, Vietnamese, Korean, whether you are from uh, Bulgaria, Bolivia, Argentina, you know, uh, Mexico, like there's so much different room that we can play with because this is a coalition of different alien species all within the Tau. Yeah. 
that would naturally invite a diversity of voices. Absolutely. Yeah. We're yeah. very excited to be having that. We've yeah, got a couple of made truly... up alien races as well that communicate in their own ways. Some yes. that have had one line in a codex and we're like, cool, let's just do it. Let's make, let's <laughs> blow that up into a larger alien, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different kooky fun stuff that we're doing there. and So that one's kind of just seeing about what kind of global reach you can really have. Well, it's about bringing in different in. voices, but right. the story itself. So this one, again, is another short multi-part series uh, on the Hunter's Watch is about you know how do we how do you bring humans in to an empire when they so widespread are a they're like the number one threat number one threat to the rest of the galaxy yeah so it's this idea of you're kind of playing with the the cold war and looking back at what influences of the tower of you know what makes them cool Mm -hmm. it's this idea of a coalition of aliens it's the idea of how do you incorporate advanced technology? And it's this idea of kind of a, an interesting cultural exchange. So what does a crew bring to the battlefield <laughs> that a Vespid is bringing in a different way? Yes. yeah. And yeah. so playing with those and then you get to humanity. It's like, well, can humans ever really be trusted? No, that's a very fair thought. Like you're, you're raised in an indoctrinated system from birth when you have these recruits. I, I would say that uh, this one's a little bit like, uh, not overtly, but we've got some Manchurian candidate vibes for humans that are working within the Tao Empire. Hmm. Uh, we've definitely got my favorite first episode uh, in terms of just combat and, and Foley. Hmm. If you like battle suits and you like space combat and like mecha and Gundams and stuff, audition for this now. You yeah. are going to be getting some really <laughs> cool stuff. And then, again, we always deconstruct and we look at the relationships and the characters and that will carry us through the rest of the story of saying, well, you know, what is a human like when you're working with other aliens? It's going to be a bit paranoid. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear it. It'll be good. Tau, Tau and Xenos are my yeah. favorite. Uh, next question. Uh, what was your first experience of the setting of Warhammer? Um, I was friends with this... I was, I was friends and she, her boyfriend played Warhammer and she was like, yeah, I think you'd like this thing. So I went to the local hobby shop and we, I think I've told this story on the, on the show before we go to the hobby shop and what happens is he's got orcs. There's some space Marine models there. He's like, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to play. And then he just completely steamrolled me. Like did, <laughs> did not even make it an enjoyable experience of like, and this is how you lose. I'm like, thanks for that. Um, that I was had like, a great time. Yeah, I'll, I'll be back. Like, Isn't he a great guy? He's all right. You know? <laughs> um, this was like my high school experience. And so years and years later, um, I was, you know, just found myself falling down that 40 K, uh, Lexicanum wiki rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, I listened to Lorehammer. I picked up Belisarius call. As my because it was the launch of like eighth, I think it was. Yeah. Um, I picked him up. That was my very first model. I'm like, I'm gonna paint this. <laughs> Start big. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, home run pitches all the time. Well, if it's big, it means there's more surface for your paintbrush, exactly. right? It was, a, it was a value. Easier. Yeah, that was a value I'll proposition. I'm like, I'm gonna make the money worth it. Um, and then I started collecting AdMac and um, proceeded to uh, whoop everyone that I played ah. against except for for Mark, and it was uh, it was great. So. Well, you know. If you don't cheat a cheater, you're, you're a winner. Oh, what now? <laughs> I don't even know the rules well enough to cheat. Thank you very much. All rules are rules if you play them as rules. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, Colin, things? why do you like killing sisters of battle? I didn't know you were a gray knight. That's is the next question. That's what they're good for. Uh, <laughs> in every story. No, uh, I don't like killing them. I like making sure that they they're are well mutilated well no uh oh. a sister's faith is always always has to be in opposition to something so 
trauma and pain are very close, you know, friends of uh, the sororitas. But there's such a resilience to not give up. And that's why they have, they usually go through so much crap in the stories. Um, there's obviously a bit of like narrative power creep that if you're going to have, you know, four sisters going up against a night Lord, is that necessarily a fair fight? <laughs> we have to also say, well, what makes sense within universe? Astartes are for me, the nuclear option. The minute you have one show up, they have to be able to be very capable in their combat doctrine and wreck house. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, in, Astartes in life, cannot make like big mistakes. Yeah. And and usually their mistakes though are ego driven because absolutely of, through uh, the hubris through their hubris yes so for sisters you know for for them it's a journey and, and really lights is kind of a precursor story we we will be returning to them one day um, they are we touch on them in their early days where they're still trying to figure out you know what does a faith militant look like there's this, I know a lot of forty key stories about sororitas are about they are almost like Astartes right they are hyper there's always Capable. a need to just like compare them next to the. It's Astartes. the female version of a story. Yeah, go, you constantly hear yeah. that thrown at you. My perception, the storytelling that I prefer for them though, is that it is still a faith order. You know, yes, they're they are going to grow and have these incredible combat doctrines, but they are not an Astartes. Right. It is not a one. They're a convent. Comparison. It's a convent, and yes, they can be very combat capable, but they are also zealots, mm-hmm. and that is what is both their 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 boon and their crippling uh, problem is they will get into a situation where the faith of the emperor will protect me. It won't. It won't. However, with uh, the cicatrix, well now, sometimes it, it will. <laughs> yes, sir. Sir Inquisitor, I found two new heretics for you right in this room. <laughs> I, I think that My coordinates, <laughs> let me leave first, please. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. What's that red light? That's appeared on. I just don't think it my, should be done. Part as... of my soul is now trapped. trapped <laughs> <laughs> you just got me murdered, you son no, of a bitch. Oh, you're going to ascend. <laughs> he ascends. I'm just looking at you like, I don't know how this happened. You just can't use it as deus ex machina for like the emperor will always protect. Yeah, yeah the emperor protects, but uh, there's always a cost. Yes. Sure. The the awesome thing about sisters though is that uh even when the emperor doesn't protect, he still will next time. <laughs> which is a great thing with sisters. Uh, yes. yeah. We're we'll be touching on that a little bit about the the, the because the Imperium is a death cult. Yes. And so whenever parts of it for sure. Whenever it doesn't go whenever a cult, whenever their predictions don't come true, what do you do? Do you say that all of your beliefs are no, you 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 reassess. You, you reassess. You kick the yardstick down the, yeah. the, the field, and you say, "Ah, it was just our faith being tested." Yeah. Or uh, we interpreted something incorrectly. You know, it's our fault. You know, yeah. we are the the will of God would not be wrong. Exactly. So it must be us. So we're gonna go, you know, flagellate this guy who got it wrong, and we'll just <laughs> yeah. keep it going. But the, uh, we will be penitent because obviously we didn't read the signs properly. And, so if you yeah. do look at the the cover art for um, on the Hunter's Watch, the, the the character, and that's on the the front page, the. Um, the character's hair should be a tip-off of the sort of doctrine that we're dealing with when we talk about humans entering the Tau Empire. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, uh, next question. Do you have any plans to do any Age of Sigmar audio stuff, or are you just 40K? We are, uh, we've are. we been talking a lot. Of, uh, so there is uh, multiple different uh, ways to approach this. Uh, we will be looking at Age of Sigmar from our short fiction and fast fiction um, content before we do audio dramas. Okay, significant start way. there. Start there. Provide people with a little bit of you know uh, groundswell attention to yeah. understand the setting. Uh, we wouldn't launch straight into audio dramas. We also yeah. do have original content that's going to be coming from Cold Open Stories, and we're going to be doing some um, exciting stuff with that at the end of this year. Okay. 
Okay. Um, so you won't have to wait too long for some fantasy options, but uh, audio dramas are just something that are a little bit further away. Yeah, okay. fair enough. It's it's cool to hear that it's not off the table. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah, we want we do want to provide multiple, you know, uh, venues, yeah. franchises for people to be able to engage in because really franchises. Yeah. With Does whole, that mean you're like entering into a new setting, say Star Wars, Star Trek? Interesting. You caught them. So we are going into original uh, content, uh, but we w- would not say no to other franchises appearing on coldopenstories.com. Let me start writing about a Jedi <laughs> named Eric Sand. That's right. The most powerful Sith ever to rule. <laughs> There'll be one voiced story by Eric. One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it better be voiced by Eric. And remember, Colin. It's going to be Liam Neeson. Uh, just <laughs> him off. It's just like, what? How did you well, I'm upset it's not me, but if it had to be someone. <laughs> Liam Neeson, yeah. yeah. Uh, what podcasting site do you recommend for new podcasters? Um, hey, what do you for use? For hosting? What do you use? I yeah. use Podbean. Podbean? Podbean. That was what we originally used to. Yeah. I think it's honestly worth the price. Uh, yeah, like we, all of this is paid for out of pocket. Like, um, again, I, there is no um, uh, Patreon or any sort of uh, financial like way of giving back for Cold Open Stories. We actually do have different charities that we support. So if people are looking to support the work that we do, we say, that, you know, since day one, you know, we're lucky, not looking for your money. Yeah. We're saying if you want to make a contribution, thank us. Put your money behind, you know, mental health supports. Put it towards people with um, with disabilities. Well, um, way to fi- make me feel like an asshole. Well, uh, this is like just, just a different... It's, it's a culture just, shift, right? Like, it's just, it's what we do is just... I, I, every day I'm begging for money out there on the streets, Colin. I mean... What, it, what do you do for work that you have all this money? I'm... Uh, do not say that because people will think that it's, uh, this is definitely a labor of love. Yeah. No, um, and, it, and it shows. It's a sacrifice. Man, like, it's crazy that you're, Art, you're not getting any compensation, which kind of brings into the next question. Like, what is the future? So this guy's box Nick asks, what's the future of cold open stories look like? Where would you like to see it go? IG, would you want GW to hire you, man? Are you looking for a full-time gig out of this? So the future for cold open is that we will continue to do uh, fan fiction. And we want to show that fan fiction can be good. We have an editorial team that yeah. support the short fiction anthologies. We have the fast fiction writing contests that are judged by community, you know, stalwarts within Warhammer, including Black Library, as well as other, you know, uh, Warhammer uh, community personalities. We're going to be moving forward with, you know, having the doors open to provide some original stories, stuff that isn't within the fan fiction lens for uh, for Warhammer. Um, but we will continue with our Warhammer love. You know, it's, it's yeah. really something that's like, it's such a rich setting, and I will not consider my work done until each faction <laughs> has a story that, you know, is kind of our, our love letter, our tribute to them. Nice. So you're about 10% done. Yeah. A little <laughs> way to go years, still. 20 more years. That's not bad. Yeah. You're probably we do f- done before they really saw the Primark models. <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah. We, well, right now we're at four per year. Okay. So, so if we're trying to use the math that way, I am still hooped. <laughs> <laughs> this is still a chain around my neck. Yeah. Um. Are there any parts of any audio story that you'd like to do differently? You've kind of mentioned a little bit. A little bit like uh, I can't hear my own voice in echo. Yeah. Uh, it's it's it was done as a proof of concept. I just and and also I, I'll admit, I you know, very first story proof of concept. Did I have a strong handle on the the franchise? I argue that didn't really start until kind of like halfway through lights. Hmm. Merch from ours, there's stuff that I would rewrite really to play up more of the feudal component hmm. uh, for them. I really think that Cog and Crimson actually with halfway through lights and the way that the Soratas are depicted because again it's early years a lot of people don't share the same idea of what the Soratas look like because they want the 40k hyper capable they don't fight with each other because of faith I yeah, they they want female power power Astartes yeah and, yeah and I prefer that it is people of you know 
very askew faith thrust together in a military combat situation. This is not the Marines, although right. they that's what they become. Sure. I still like the idea of that, you know, when they describe what a crusade looks like for the ecclesiarchy, it is literally just round up everybody, hop on ships, run Pack across them the stars, in like sardines. Yeah. And, and go on a holy war. Yeah. <laughs> Which if you think about what the original crusades were, Yes, there were organizations, but they were very loosely tied together. And, and there were so many of them. Yeah, they were competing with each other. Yeah. And it, it was a, a different time. I like my sisters like that. That's me. Hmm, That's sure. my perception. Like uh, the, the scouring is my favorite time to explore with what the sisters would be doing. 40K... Yes, they can be jumping into the Pariah Nexus. That's not something that I'm going to say that's for me. Yeah, and uh, there's so many different stories. It's not like you're exploring a wrong aspect of no, it. No, you're just exploring yeah. a different one. And look at the timelines. Like, Cog and Crimson takes place after the opening of the Cicatrix Maledict. Right. That is a story I'm like, yes, that makes a lot of sense because theirs is about exploration, the journey of knowledge. And for them, it's about getting the Fort Pilgrimage back across the Warp Scar on their pilgrimage to get back to Mars. Right. Okay, we got two more questions. Uh, what is your favorite obscure piece of lore that you know? Um, obscure. Something really out there. Um, Way to put you on the spot. Yeah. Just make something up. It's so obscure no one else right? will notice. Um, Did I- you know that there were only 98 Vol Swords? <gasps> what happened to the other two? It was in a Cracker Jacks box. It was in like the box of cereal or something <laughs> It's like in that. a Twinkie. Oh, God. Actually, Indestructible. I, I would say, actually, that's a really good point because uh, Lanthralac and uh, Jay Riella have mentioned in old 40K materials before the War in Heaven kind of became, like, we want to make it more nebulous mm-hmm. of because the War in Heaven in 40K is used to refer to two events. Yes, and it's horrific how those two <laughs> events are so separate. <laughs> so I, for me, the, the obscure knowledge was I'm like, oh, Lanthralac the Swift and Jay Riella. They were kind of like leading the the Eldari at the time. That was very niche for me. Like most other people remember the Phoenix Lords hmm. or the other leaders of the, the race before the fall. And then after the fall, it's like, all right, so we got Kamara, we've got Vect, uh, and then we've got, you know, uh, Eldrad. Like those are right. kind of like the big ones that people know. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what's obscure? You know, what what do I like? I, I really do like the the Eldar myths are, are kind of neat and obscure for me. Um, the... I, I obscure. I mean, like it's it's known to people who follow the faction. I just love that Skatari have their legs shaved down, not crowned. round, round, round down. down. Yeah, I think that to that's, experience the pain. I think that's kind of obscure. You have to be deep in the faction. I think that that is horrific. Yeah, that's definitely something I learned on the podcast. Yeah. So that's no, that nice. that was a good one. I yeah. thought it was a great time to become a Skatari. It's just not prosthetics. Mm, it's a long way up, not just chopped <laughs> off of the knee. It's a restart toe to yes. to, to joint. So. Yeah. Uh, and final question: How do you get the stories, etc., that are in your head out onto some more physical medium? How do you actually get the motivation? Uh, you have to make the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Is the first thing. Like so, tr- telling myself every day I'm going to write for an hour a night at the very least. Like that, telling yourself that you have to hold yourself accountable to that art is important. I think all yeah. artists have to do that. So the same reason people have the one hour a night uh, hobby yeah. painting, you know, like yeah. I, 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 you have to make the time. Yeah. It's not just going to manifest by you saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write it. It's going to be great one day. I think a lot of people hype themselves up. They're, they're going to aspire or do great things. There is no replacement for actually taking the action and step, uh, doing it. How do I actually put it into writing? I write a lot of crap. <laughs> I think most of the scripts will have eight or nine 
iterations before there's something that I'm really sure. happy with. I think that's really important is to realize that even if you're writing for an hour a day for a whole month, your final copy after your revisions yeah. and editorials, it might look very different. But it doesn't mean that any of that previous writing was invalid. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. it's a process, too, to like get there. Like, Hounds of Bedlam, the ending for that changed four times. Sure, yeah. Uh, Agtrill, Arrowfit Blade, came out in one go. So it's like... You know, what is it, your process? Sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't, but being yeah. consistent with it yeah. is the most important. And, yeah. and and this goes for whether you're writing a little bit of lore for your faction or you want to write stories for any of the contests or submissions or the listener lore or whatnot is just, you're going to write crap. And and I think that the, the point is like not to be too beholden to the fact that what you're writing is garbage. Like there's a difference. You're going to write stuff that you're not happy with. It's because you have taste. You have learned what you enjoy by the things that have moved you as a person, whether it's a movie that you watched and you're like, wow, you know, I welled up with tears at this one part of this film. It takes a lot of time and effort to get there. Sure. So you, but you recognize what's good storytelling and you know, what's not. If you're going to say, I watched the King speech and man, that was pretty different than Sharknado. Correct. <laughs> Those are two very different things. Now you cried during Sharknado because it was a beautiful cinematic achievement. It was Ma- a love no, story. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Yeah. But you still... And the only thing... The only problem with Sharknado... The only problem? The only problem. Only problem. Is that there could have been more sharks and more tornadoes. I agree. I think yeah. that that was But that's really why we got Chuck Noda. That's Noda exactly too. why so we got it's it. It's fine. Yeah. They, they definitely rectified that problem. They rectified it. Anyway. The, the point is just don't be afraid of putting out uh, content and then looking at it going, I don't like this because... Yeah. Absolutely. Your, your tastes are going to exceed your talent from the beginning and you're always going to be chasing and trying to do something better and different each time. And that's good it's yeah. actually we, you go online and you see people painting incredible models and you go well i'm never going to pick up a brush because i'm never going to be as good as that it's that mundaneity uh, that that feeling of i'm whatever i'm going to do is going to be mundane and that fear of even attempting to do it is garbage and i will i will put it's pretty poisonous it's yeah. very poisonous because you just go wow look at all these other great people you do not see all the poor models or the journey that people have curated out yeah. of their their social feed to get someplace you do not see you know, how many weird or cuts of the audio dramas did not work. Yeah. yeah. And how some endings had to be rewritten or changed. Doesn't happen as much, which I'm very thankful for. And, you know, as, as I'm going on, I'm a lot happier with where we're ending. But there's still stuff that I look back on and go, oof, that I wish I would have had more time or done yeah. more. But you have to always be creating, set yourself timelines and say, I got to release this to the world. It's got to go yep. out there. I feel like yep. that's a pretty standard response for almost any creative process that you want to go through. It's making sure that you're putting effort in to do it continuously yeah. and then understanding that you'll always be growing and learning and changing. Yeah. And there's there's no one who's like, yeah, I've reached my peak and you know everything I churn out from this point on is going to be gold. Yeah. Like no one does that. Everyone works and works and works. And, they and, do. and throw out stuff that's not working. Don't become too attached to yeah, yeah, an yeah. idea. Yeah. Be it's okay not with yeah. receiving criticism is huge in like creative circles. It's, yeah. It, it, yeah. And, and that's also hard because we become very attached to our things. Absolutely. We Other have people, uh, yeah. we have like a good little channel in our, in our discord yeah. where people can like go there and feel free to get criticized nicely yeah which is very helpful gotta have like, the oreo sandwich yeah it's yeah, a great yeah. starting um, point I yeah no i like that a lot I, that's the same feedback that i i give is yeah you know lead with something you liked really get into the nitty-gritty of some things that could be you know constructive mm-hmm. and end with you know reinforce with sharing. another like great yeah. yeah yeah 
Yeah. That's why you get double stuffed Oreos. Oh, a lot of oh, a lot yeah. of negative. No. Then oh, I start yeah. working in peanut butter and chocolate, <laughs> and it gets a whole mess in there. And then man. you dip them in chocolate, and then you started frying them. Yeah. In my Deep crazy frying. days, yeah. yes, yeah. I did for sure. How's your health, Eric? Not great. Didn't think so. <laughs> Pooped out an Oreo shape the other day. <laughs> I thought that was a chicken nugget. Why are you going through my stools, Colin? I just need to make sure you're feeling okay. I'm oh, okay. a little concerned. I watch your house. You go through my stools. Your garbage, too. Okay, I'm making yeah. sure what your eating habits are. I like that. Eric, it seems like you ordered takeout for 14 days in a row. <laughs> that wasn't four people, even though that you doesn't sound like me. <laughs> and every, every single order was either fried chicken or uh, cake. Cake. Just cake. <laughs> so oil and cake. Um, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of different ways that people can engage and create their creativity and, and what they, and also knowing where you want to start. For example, the audio dramas and voice acting, do not be afraid just to give an intent. And I would actually say swing for the fences, do something that is like reserved and do something that's crazy, you know, mm. try both. The short fiction anthologies are great because when people submit, if they are selected, we actually provide editorial support. If they're not selected, we actually still give feedback. Sure, maybe That's not right. as a super thorough one, but you're still you're offering. still getting you're still getting some some pointers. Yeah. The fast fiction contest is a contest. That's one thousand words, one theme, one winner. Right. And when people get into that, it's it's a little bit more cutthroat. We're not going to be giving you feedback, but you get the biggest internet points by winning. Sure. Um, and then we have Inquisitor Doctrina Malum, which is our writing immersive writing game, and that's really if if you had the SCP Foundation, but it was set with Inquisitors. That's what that is. So there's multiple different ways. If you want to write little articles for that about different threats to the Imperium, you want to enter a contest to really try to hone your skill down to a thousand words, or you have a story that's just been burning in your heart you want to do, or you want to voice act and be a crazy alien or an even crazier human being. Yeah. Um, there's way different ways that people can engage in this hobby we all love. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Do, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really? Yeah. Um, so going forward, if you had one thing you're most excited for going forward with Cold Open, what do you think it's going to be? Uh, well, I I have to say that we have so many things on the run right now. That's the thing. It seems yeah. like yeah, like you have so many different little things. The the thing I'm really excited for is all of it. Um, oh, uh, boo. no answers. Oh, on your website, pick one of these tabs here. Which one of these are, is your favorite? Uh, I'm, hey, I see. I'm, I'm looking at all your accolades and awards yeah. that you've got so far. Yeah. One of them is from Australia. That's not even a real place. Oh, you're making up awards. Oh, look at me. I'm Colin. I'm winning <laughs> Australia Top 100 Drama Podcast, <laughs> but it's not even real. Well, I'm the other ones I'm, I'm sure for real. the Australian listeners. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, we we're, we're very fortunate that we get attention outside of uh, just forty cases. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, you know what? There's how many accolades up here? Over five, because that's all I can. Count. That's all you can. Count. That's how many fingers I have. Yeah. But man, every single one of those is deserved and thank you earned. Thank you. No, they're they've been great fun. I'm really excited for for that. Some of them came from different uh, podcast trackers, aggregators, like uh, podcast awards. Um, I've I, the ones that I'm most uh, fond of are the Audioverse Awards, where people have actually nominated us. And so last year we got uh, best new audio play with the Cog and Crimson, and we had three best uh, performance supporting role as wow. well. Yeah. Uh, this year though, we're going in with some big pieces. We've got Agtrail. We've got Hounds of Bedlam. Hmm. We've got Yesterday's News. Like those, uh, they're good, man. Those three, like, yeah, 
I'll I'll go to the award circuit with those and, and hope that <laughs> any of them get any sort of attention. So I've never uh, listened to an audio drama. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other one I had, but previous to other than Cold Open Stories, yeah. was Stormlight Archives. Um, big thick book by Brandon Sanderson, and I listened to that as an audio drama. So it's my first experience, yeah. kind of with soundtracks and yeah. and kind of alternative ways, whatever. Man, it's right up there. And this is done by a professional production company. It's their job yeah. to put out these um, audio dramas and everything. And I honestly don't know if I could tell the difference between the quality of the two. I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. That I, means a lot. Like if you were to put them next to each other, be like, yeah, done by the same company, you know? <laughs> I mean, the the, the, the only – because one of the questions you asked is what would I do if Games Workshop uh, came, came knocking um, is I'm like, well – I did that social post uh, a little while ago on uh, Instagram. Where it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, that got me. Oh, I know. Whatever. <laughs> there's there's been a lot of stuff happening in the community where um, the all these animations are getting picked up yeah. and put behind. Yeah, the, Games Workshop is. It, it looks like they're really trying to spread their fingers right now. Yeah, they're trying to pick up fan works and put them behind um, their their paywall, really to to have a product to then give to to customers. Um, I will say though, they already have their own audio dramas that come out. They have a pipeline for that. I do not expect any further conversations between me and them to do something official for them. That said, I, I have had communications with Games Workshop, and they're not going to be closing down cold open um, for anything to be put behind uh, paywalls no. or, any uh, or you know, uh, putting it, you know, within their, their auspices yeah. because we are aggressively fan-driven. There, right. There and, is and, no, and, um, it is official. There is no financials trading hands here. We're actually trying to help people grow to become better writers as well as to engage in the hobby in different ways and also to create some products that can draw new people in with the, like the audio dramas or the anthologies and contests. Yeah. Yeah, and you even said it earlier just um, how, uh, who brain fart. I didn't say that. <laughs> no. Uh, you were talking earlier just about how it's just on the tip of my tongue, man. Oh, it's so He's close. for time. Yeah. We should I talk know. about something. Well, yeah, yeah. no. We'll come back to it. Rigo, what you were talking about. We were talking about how um, it's fan-driven and it's solely. We're so close. We're so close there. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's Games happen. Workshop has their own stuff. Oh, okay. We're so close. Keep <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> We are, we are, okay. For people who are listening, we are watching the full deconstruction of Mark's brain. This is like, he's fading away. It's turning to ash. Yeah. Well, it's gone. His it mouth will be the It'll last thing back. to go, like the Cheshire Cat. It'll just be like, <laughs> and I hate Primera. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so that's a nice thing. Like, if you did work for GW, you would then be beholden to him. And like you said earlier, like, these stories that you tell, you don't want them to be these standard kind of stories you like that creative liberty where you can kind of just do whatever you want you can pick this weird psychic archaeology story and you're not pushing a model line on somebody i i think that is just a point of the the freedom that this is afforded is you can tell stories that yeah. probably would not fit into a standard mandate yeah because there's it's not selling a product exactly i mean if i turn however small however hidden yes it's a gene stealer story and there's like mention that you can have mentioned of the models but it is told from a human perspective are you going to have a father and his son and a little baby set to to purchase yeah when's the imperial civilian you know uh line going to come out so you can have them on the <laughs> On the, the battlefield. You put them on battlefield just as, like, scatter yeah. terrain. <laughs> just scatter yeah. terrain. I mean, like, 
like they give you cover save, but you That's remove right. them if it hits the cover. Absolutely, yeah. I if mean, ever you get saved by cover, <laughs> I would really like it. this. Actually, I think that would be that would be pretty dark. And then you get then you can have like you know the fall release, which is all the Drukari slaved version. <laughs> it's like all they do is that you just replace all the torsos with like chains. Yeah, and, and then the like slash release, the slash all... release, they're just covered in tattoos yeah. and uh, their their Scars, tendons are yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, like. Yes, there's stuff that you could pick up and play and turn this into like a, a model. Like, Cog and Crimson is like I'm. I'll put it this way: some of the releases of these did preempt model releases, where I was like, "Huh, have I divined <laughs> something un, unintended?" <laughs> like, if we scroll down and we take a look at the um, the dramas here, like, what was it? It was uh, when All Lights Have Come Out was announced, and then we got the Sisters line. Yeah. Uh, Cog and Crimson, and then a little while after, we got the Manipulus, the Archaeopters, like, all, all these. Uh, however Small was announced. Um, and we got the expanded, like, uh, motorcycle gene sealers. Okay. And this, uh, the, the vehicles and stuff. Egg Trill, uh, we had Necrons in the story. What happened? Ninth edition, Necrons is the main villain, so I'm taking credit for that. Yeah, a huge... Taking oh, credit yeah, for it. Of course. Yeah. Wow. That's directly related, directly related to what you did. I yeah. didn't know you could just do that, because I've been talking about 40k for the last, like, three years, so I'm taking credit for everything that's been done in the last <laughs> Fair. Hounds of Bedlam, I'm just saying, traitor guardsman. Come on. Man, we're that gonna, would be pretty sweet. Uh, and yesterday's news, we're going to get some administratum people <laughs> well, we again. Got the first High Lord of Terror model. So <laughs> yeah, very yeah. different, though. It's like she's not a We're on our way, though. No. <laughs> and, and so now I'm just hoping, you know, we got, uh, we got Tau. What would be better than, you know, getting some... Uh, <sighs> some auxiliaries? Uh, some aux- good auxiliaries. Like, yeah. give me weird and different species... Like, give me a tentacled monster, like, str- like holding a, you know, a <laughs> or fighting with or poisonous clouds. Pos- like, yeah. this, the ones that change color and yeah. look like a freaking kaleidoscope. Like, <laughs> the last thing I virus, need is yeah. another mech titled XV108-FB4. Unless it's yeah. open topped, and then you can actually have like different aliens right. that are included. Fine. At which point, you're I like, will, okay, I can model a creature. I will accept a new mech. If there was an alien piloting, I just really like the idea of like one of these giant machines, and then there's like a starfish that's the size of my hand piloting. (laughs) That's the psychic one. That's the psychic. psychic Yeah, yeah, right. I I I love it. So it'll be good times when that model comes out. Absolutely, you're gonna get the the Tau human heads because now we have the Imperial Guard uh, release. Yeah. Um, Humans always as a model sell well, so uh, Gene Stealers are the horrifying Tyranid version of that. We've got the new Guardsman models. I want our Trader Guardsmen to get some love. Uh, with you know those conversion kits and i think you know some tau human auxiliaries could work too so yeah man would be good yeah um that's a lot of stuff going right now I yeah say. yeah uh what do you say in a time like this the chicken fingers chicken fingers oreos oreo sandwiches i think that's yeah that's the end that's our that's an episode i think that's all we, we can say <laughs> you leave it on oreos and chicken fingers and uh everyone needs to go well, watch these stories yeah, if like, this episode didn't first of all ruin the three <laughs> stories for yeah, you yeah some spoilers yeah. yeah uh and you still haven't gone back and listened to them first of all what are you doing with your life <laughs> Like, what's so important that you're listening to us over the stories? Well, they're listening to Lorehammer, of course, which there are priorities. It does go Lorehammer. I'll go cold open, then LTL. So there are priorities to the listening order. So am I going to get emails from Matt and Dylan after this? We ignore them like every other email. Oh, that's right. James complains. Yeah, James. We got one today, and that was I saw that. That was good. Um, Yeah, so... You should definitely go check these yeah. out. 100% worth your time. Thank you, yeah. 
coldopenstories.com uh, yep. uh, we have fiction and contests uh, really running through the summer like uh, we've got June, July are uh, close dates for audio dramas for contests so check them out yeah, uh, make sure that you're able to, to see those uh, follow on the socials at Cold Open Stories you're also able to pick up some some teasers of the upcoming material as they're, they're coming out which is great because uh, right now you can hear some some great stuff of what uh, our uh, Tao audio drama is going to sound like and it nice. is French kiss. It's great. Nice. Very nice. Well, from me and I'm sure the rest of the community, man, thanks for doing what you're doing with these. Like, it's truly, it takes time, it takes skill, um, and you pull it off amazingly, man. Like, it's funny. People are like, oh, yeah, Lorehammer. It's like, I'm just talking into a microphone. It doesn't take any skill. You, like, this is incredible what you do up here. Like, it's yeah. truly a work like, of art. It's truly like community changing the level of like expertise that you bring. Because no longer will we hear another crappy audio drama. Like, this is the bar. Yeah, this like, is the standard now. Like, just how Astartes was the standard, like, this is the standard yeah. of audio drama for us. So well, I yeah, this I is now what I expect, and I'm going to always measure mm-hmm. anything I hear now, whether it's other fanfic or whether Games it's even Workshop. From GW. Yeah, yeah, Games Workshop official releases or tied to them. This is now my what I'm measuring yeah, against. Man. Well, it won't cost you a cent. Yeah. So, And even that, like, thank you, man. Like, yeah. it's incredible what you're doing for just advancing 40K. Thanks, guys. <laughs> you deserve it. Well, um, anything else, Mark, before we shut her down? Um, no. Yeah, me neither. Let's blow this popsicle stand. Yeah. You guys will want to hear a tease, so next episode, Carcaridons, hold me to it. You liar. There's I know. no they're way not, we're doing that. They're not going to buy it. No it's one's funny. believing you. I'm just you. these guys. Yeah. Here comes the angry emails. Chainsclain at gmail.com. Yeah, you know what? Um, <laughs> if, it, if it isn't Carcaridons... What do you think the next episode is going to be? Send us a message on Discord. Don't Hounds, yeah. Hounds of Bedlam. Hounds of Bedlam? <laughs> Man, you could pick apart that thing. It was. Anyways. It's, it's dance. Yeah. There's a lot there. So. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thank we you, hope everyone. you enjoyed. Colin, it was awesome to have you on. Thank you very much for you, having you me. Need to, we need to have you on more often. Um, thanks to everyone for listening and showing up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Wait. Thanks, Eric, to you as well for hosting us. Hey. Okay, goodbye. You know what? Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.